Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is, I think, episode 11 on August 11th, 2023. Today, we are joined by Ricardo Contreras. I believe 11 is correct. Last time you said a decade and it scared Patrick and <laughs> gave him some it existential did. horror. Uh, we also have Renata Price. I've never been, I've never experienced existential horror at a Bullshit. number of years. Bullshit. Bullshit. Lies. No, I'm normal. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm mentally well and cool. As always, we are a listener-supported show. If you enjoy Remap Radio and wish to become a supporter, you can learn more at remapradio.com. Our website has links to our memberful page where you can sign up for monthly or annual plans that give you access to exclusive Remap content. Now, uh, the big game right now is Baldur's Gate 3, and people have been playing a bunch of that, and I meant Mm -hmm. to play a bunch of that. And we're going to get into Baldur's Gate 3, but... (laughs) I ended up spending a little less time in Baldur's Gate 3 than I anticipated because I got kind of reabsorbed by Xenonauts 2. Oh. Which... How did it pull that off? Because last time we checked, you were not thrilled about Xenonauts. I remember like you were like, yeah, it's Xenonauts. Um, and so I'm surprised I, that it managed to get you back. I think I might have just been more in the mood now for leading little troopers to their doom. And... Also, I think in particular, it is the, and we talked about this the last time uh, we discussed Xenonauts 2, but Xenonauts 2 is, is for all intents and purposes, an attempt to recreate the original XCOM games uh, from mm. Microprose, the, the, the original like, uh, Julian Gollop XCOM design. And inherent in that is a certain degree of brutality that's built into it, that like the like XCOM is not a game where clean victory is possible. If you are trying to have flawless runs each mission, you're probably playing wrong and you're just not going to make, make much progress in the game because the whole thing is designed around this idea that your soldiers are overmatched and you know, there's going to be casualties. Xenonauts two sort of is the where, where the modern Fraxis XCOM is sort of a reinvention of XCOM. Xenonauts is like very much in the tradition of we are just trying to recreate for modern audiences the the original thing. Has a lot of the same beats. Like every mission you're starting off aboard your, uh, you know, 
dropship and the first thing you do in each mission is disembark and even getting out of the transport can be a really fraught moment as it was in the original XCOM. Sometimes you have a clean landing site. Sometimes the first trooper off the ramp gets reaction fire and they just drop dead. Start of the mission. Nothing you could have done. You couldn't have scouted it. Uh, and I was kind of in the mood for that. You know, I was kind of feeling like, you know, I, I was kind of feeling like I've been playing a bunch of tactics games that kind of encourage this idea of like, you should really be having clean victories. You should be, you know, you should be sort of going through the enemy like a, you know, hot knife through butter. <laughs> uh, and I was kind of in the mood for, I'm kind, I kind of just want to see some people eat shit. I kind <laughs> of want a game to be a little bit like brutal and arbitrary in that way. And so I'm, got back into it and immediately sort of felt like, Ooh, this is maybe a little too brutal and arbitrary, <laughs> but in a way that kept me coming back to it, that I was like, Ooh, I, I don't, this is a tough spot. I don't know where to get out of this, but it kind of is compelling in that once the game desensitizes you to the idea that like every single dead trooper represents sort of massive, a massive failure. The minute the game conditions you to have a mission where out of nine soldiers de- that deployed, five come back, four come back, and you feel good about that, that's kind of liberating, right? It allows for a lot of expression of, I am just going to let, like, see what plays out because, let's be real, like, a lot of your most interesting game states emerge when things are not optimal. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of games that, particularly ones that do have open-ended campaigns where there's this idea that, when you are in a bad spot, you know, it's maybe time to go back and reload. Mm-hmm. Uh, your threshold for that gets really low. And that can be, it can both like slow your progress, but also I, it can make the game feel less fun, right? Because you're, you end up avoiding those, those states where it's like, oh man, like a third of my troops are, are down. How do I rescue this? I mean, this is the classic like XCOM, modern XCOM and XCOM 2 problem of like they became solved games in a lot of for a lot of players, XCOM, at least XCOM 1 and then XCOM 2 tried its best to to design around this. But like XCOM 1 became a solved game in terms of like, how do I mitigate the risk as much as possible? Crawl up and overwatch endlessly. Right. And, and, And I think that like part of what you're talking about here is like there is a freedom that comes with the meat grinder. Uh, and that like it, the meat grinder creates a space for imagination and like play that just isn't there with characters who you are both emo- not just mechanic, not just mechanically invested in, but also emotionally invested in, in different ways. Um, and, and I, and I think that like that can, that emotional investment for as much it can uh, as it can like really help a game can also get in the way of like you're saying here telling interesting stories in a tactics game uh and like tactically interesting narratives appearing yeah and, and i think like there's also just that original xcom design the bones are so good there and there just haven't been a lot of games that have successfully recreated it so one of the dynamics in in XCOM and now Xenonauts is this idea that you start as a scrappy, shadowy underground organization that has one secret base from which you are waging war on the aliens who are invading across the entire planet. If you do not have a base in different parts of the world, 
you won't see what's going on there. You can't you can't do missions there because there's no one there to like see the UFOs arriving. There's no one there to get the help messages uh, calling for uh, calling for reinforcements. And so the idea that one of the things you have to do is also expand out like physical infrastructure so you can, you know, fight the war with the aliens ends up being a really interesting one as well, because now you are. To me, it's a more interesting resource dilemma where it is. Do I continue keep investing in my my main base and investing all my resources and we've unlocked new technology? Do I unlock every single like laser weapon that you build mm-hmm. for your troops requires engineers to produce and it requires resources you capture from the aliens to produce and it requires just money to pay those engineers. So do you invest in that upgrade that, you know, each laser rifle carried in a battle represents a couple days work? Do you do that? Each one represents a hundred grand, but also that same hundred grand could break ground on another facility. Now, you know, if you do that, if you invest in that other facility, you'll get better coverage across the world, but your teams will be less capable. You're going to have to field guys in, you know, Kevlar and flak jackets against like laser rifles for longer. Whereas if you, you know, put all your eggs in one basket, you would you would be able to, you know, steward those resources a little more and, and be able to have a, a team that is very strong, but just isn't very numerous. It isn't in a lot of places. And running into those dilemmas is really fun. Like making that choice between, okay, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let my troops go into battle a little underarmed, so that I can open up a second facility a little faster and start getting getting coverage elsewhere. That all it's all really cool. It, it creates a cool metal layer that then translates into really interesting combat scenarios where. Man, the, you sure feel when you have not kept up with the game's maybe intended power curve when you've made choices to expand out and the game is introducing you to new enemy types and you're like, oh, those are just shrugging off everything I've got. And it's not that you you could have had better stuff. You just didn't build it. You couldn't. And so now it's like the first time the first time I had a mission where it's like I was I was on a, a pretty good run and I get off, uh, you know, the, the transport and I'm like, oh, there's some sort of big alien floating cybernetic thing going on over there. Let's open fire on it. And nothing penetrates like it's just shrugging off rounds. And it's like, OK, uh, I've really fucked up here. So, so I guess what I'm hearing here is that like. I think that, you know, even modern XCOM has this, right? When when new enemy types are introduced, it can often be like a big jump in yeah. like health or, or you know, it's a big deal. The first time the game is like, hey, big orb guy is here. And because big orb guy is here, we're going to let your whole squad just plink away at big orb guy so you can see. How much big, how much health big orb guy has, and that you should probably build new weapons before we start introducing big orb guy more. And, and here it's like it expects you to have realized that big orb guy will be coming and have preempted <laughs> his 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 appearance. I think that there. I have a bit of a concern that indeed it kind of does function that way. That mm-hmm. oh well, you probably should have your naive playthrough is kind of compromised because you really needed to have at least somebody in the squad packing better gear for this, for this encounter. 
on the other hand, what you get out of this is, I think it was very rare in the original XCOM where you, you encounter an enemy. Enemies might be scary, but, you know, you use the term planking away. Mm-hmm. No, you kind of are planking away in, in the new XCOM games, but it's not like you plink away in Xenonauts where it's like, oh, oh my God, like we just had a full turn where everybody had line of sight on this thing and it was just like blasting away with everything they had. And we barely dented this thing. Uh, and then every time it takes a turn, it's like killing two people. Right. And it's like, okay, this is this is a different level yes. of lethality. I also have a question about the tech tree and how it works yeah. here. I'm like, so in XCOM, there is a progression where if you want laser weapon, if you want a laser sniper rifle, right? You have to first research laser weapons. And then it's like, okay, we figured out how to make a laser gun. Now it's time to make the laser machine gun. And you're like, I'd really like a laser sniper rifle. And they're like, no, 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 no. We don't know how to make that yet. You got it. You got to let's get the laser machine gun first. And, and so, but the problem that I end up having with that system is that I never feel like I made an interesting choice there. Like, like, it's never like I felt like I was like, in XCOM at least, once you're in the new zone of the tech tree, it's like, okay, well, and then everyone should just have this. Like, I, 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 the, this is the new standard upon which I have to work because, like, anything else is just like, what, what are we even doing here? And, and I guess I'm interested to know if, like, when you are choosing to build one of those laser weapons, for example, does the specific kind of weapon actually, like, are you sitting there thinking, like, damn, I think I might go with the laser sniper rifle over the laser LMG because it's like technically has more utility versus what happens, I think, in XCOM, which is like, I just got to get the laser weapons for everybody because all of the weapons are the same level of efficacy and and can kind of do okay because every character in that game could theoretically, or it, it can feel like every character in that game could theoretically solo a mission if you played it right. Yeah, it, so in XCOM, it's also like once you've unlocked the next tier up on the weapon, weapon archetype, everyone just has that weapon archetype, right? right? Like that everyone's got the advanced shotgun, the advanced rifle. Nope. You have to hand build every single thing. And so it's a long time before you can say the default loadout for a class is, oh, they carry this advanced gear because you have to make sure that you're your arsenal has the the advanced gear in sufficient quantity to supply everyone who is of that class to, to fill out everyone who's, who's got that loadout. And so, yeah, you, you unlock the tech for, you know, laser weapons, everything. And then each single gun of each different class you are individually building. And so you might be thinking like, okay, I have two really good snipers. Two people use a sniper rifle, but they're not really, very talented snipers, but I do have an awesome machine gunner. So I'm going to build two sniper rifles, laser sniper rifles, and then a laser machine gun for that one gunner, because you want to put, you want to make sure that your most effective soldiers have the most effective gear so you can get the most out of them. And you're constantly asking questions like that. And there are, there are settings you can put in Xenonauts to really crank it up. Like I think, I think weapons pretty much always make, like make it back. Uh, mm-hmm. to the squad, but I think there's a setting where like if a soldier wearing advanced armor dies and is left on the battlefield, there's a setting where you can say, I lose that armor. 
off by default but you can there's a lot of like dynamic there's there's little ways you can tweak the difficulty where it's like no actually you know what i think if a soldier is abandoned on the on the battlefield with a lot of like really expensive good gear i should just lose that gear i should (sighs) like i should and i haven't gone that far because but if you do suddenly there's value in having soldiers run over to a dead comrade deal with the inventory screen and start grabbing their stuff. There's also mission types where like you want to grab gear off a dead comrade, but like the notion that you might have such valuable gear out there. That's like, Oh, we can't just, (laughs) sorry, Jones is dead, but we can't afford to leave Jones's corpse with all that good stuff. See, and and here I'm like finding a tension that I have with 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 the style of game what you're describing here because like when I hear this the idea of these systems producing this story, I get thrilled. I get thrilled by the idea of being like, oh shit, okay, I'm gonna send this guy over, and he and he has to like take this armor, and it's like, ah, fuck, I'm gonna carry this armor. I guess I have to I have to be the guy who puts on the power armor, you know, and then like suddenly that character has like a different role in my like unit composition. And then I like see them a different way and all this should have like, that's, that's the version that I want, right? That is the version of these systems talking to each other that I think would be fun. And yet I think that if I played Xenonauts 2, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, Rob, I would, I would love to be wrong here. If I played Xenonauts 2, I feel like I would have that moment for just a second and then it would be obliterated, like the character would be obliterated and like the narrative that could have been built completely falls apart. And like the, the, the interesting story ends up just being like, yeah, a guy got shot. That actually, the story wasn't interesting. A guy got shot and then another guy also got shot. There is a bit of that. I mean, so this is partly, uh, you know, if you look at the XCOM games, I think they have a lot of overlap with old war games, for instance, this notion that, yeah, like, and then the, that story could also just end with the second person running over also just getting killed. Um, that's definitely in play. And I think there are moments where it's like, okay, a really cool thing almost happened there, but regrettably the thread got cut uh, because of the way the, you know, the, the game is, the game is constructed. But I think, you know, one reason I'm, I'm sort of hooked on it is if you look at how these battles are unfolding in a lot of these things, uh, Good stories do emerge pretty reliably. Mm-hmm. Like these are what's the way to put it? Um So X new XCOM games are great, but they're also superhero games in a lot of ways. It's it's no it's not a great shock that Jake Solomon goes on to make Marvel's Midnight Suns. Right. because uh, in a lot of ways where you know the the mid to late game XCOM operative is themselves a superhero. They just op- occupy superhero class archetypes. Well, not to like get us too early into Baldur's Gate 3, but like one of my biggest mistakes with that game was trying to play it like fantasy XCOM. Like, that is what I consider one of my biggest mistakes. And I think that, like, you're right. The reason I wanted to play it like Fantasy XCOM is because that's how XCOM teaches you to play tactics game broadly is with all of your characters as super soldiers. Yeah. Uh, and that's what my brain has become, like, latched onto as opposed to the thing that Baldur's Gate 3 is doing, which is a secret third thing that I think that wasn't even considered to be an option most of the time. But returning to Xenonuts 2. Yeah, but I think, like, here... In some ways, what is cooler is there's a lot more moments that are like that moment in Predator where they just shred the jungle because they're out of ideas. Mm -hmm. 
And they are so overpowered by what they're up against that the only play that they can make is just start like opening up with every single heavy thing they have and hope that works out. And so you have battles where it's like, okay, so the snipers got taken out. We had no like accurate long range fire. And so the heavies just opened up with machine guns. The grenadier just blew the entire building apart. The alien was like holding just can opener the entire side of the building open so that suddenly it's standing there like a deer in the headlights and we just continue to shred it with like heavy ordnance stray shots or like killing other aliens in the backdrop just because like every bullet goes somewhere. Uh, so you will have like clutch moments where an alien sniper wasn't even the thing you were aiming at, but you watch your machine gunners blazing away and like it just takes a headshot from a stray machine gun round and you're like, Okay, I'm not reloading the save at all costs. This is that's canon. That that sniper just eating shit from a from a random from a random stray. That is canon. That that happened to me. What happens to me is bullshit. The game is the game is lying. But what happens to the aliens? I'm like, blah, that's hilarious. But I think it it does open up the space for you have a lot more expressions for how a battle can go you know you have those moments that like the same squad one mission might have this really surgical like we are basically playing alien rainbow sex right everyone gets off the transport you know covering each other effectively and just buzzsaw through the aliens it's, it's incredible and then that same squad a, a mission later might have the battle where it's effectively like you know three people dead and stranded in no man's land and the entire thing basically gets solved by using every high explosive that we brought to the map. So a uh, question I have here is, do you feel like that is a result of, because I know this game has a morale system, because I remember from Xenonauts 1 and, and from our experiences playing XCOM, there is a morale system and like oh, yeah. characters can be, can, can be broken during a fight, right? You can, you can get so overwhelmed that you're like just shocked and can't do anything. Is that what is causing these missions that you're describing to go as bad as they are? Or is it really just like, oh, the stray shot killed the guy we needed it to, not the stray shot killed the guy we needed it to, and his friend is freaking the fuck out about it? It could be both. Like, that's, that's mm-hmm. the, the game supports a lot of different ways for these things to go. Like, sometimes it's just that the, the game piece got removed at a critical moment. And so that, that creates an inflection point for the battle. But you also do have characters that just eventually panic and mm-hmm. melt away during combat and start running back to the, the the troop transport. And there's nothing you can do. And that becomes a, a moment where it's like this character was on a crucial flanking mission. And the character they were with got killed in front of them and they just melted and bolted. And so the flanking mission didn't happen. And so now we got to do something else that can that can be something that happens. And then that becomes a thing where it's like. You're looking at not just, you know, that you know that all your troops like they have certain, you know, because of their loadouts and such. There's things they, they have in common, but actually your soldiers are all very. This is this is the very XCOM, the, the old school XCOM thing versus versus modern because there's so many stats. It's got that RPG DNA uh, in terms of like how many time units they get per turn. How accurate are they? How strong are they? All these things play into each other. That like a gunner is not a gunner is not a gunner. Like they're all kind of different expressions of this idea. And so you do start having to monitor like, okay, like this character is not a real rifleman. They got the gear. They got the med kit. They got the rifle. But they're basically here to 
march out into places we haven't scouted and just see what happens. <laughs> or they're there to run along the back line healing people, but not actually have to go make clutch shots because that's not what they're all about. And if you ever forget that, if you don't pay attention to that, you need to remember that like this character is a real uh, slender read to hang any any battle plan off of. Do your characters change over time? Like, are you are you seeing them actually like that's the thing that would I think that's the thing that, that has me most worried about. And like the thing that would like have me hold off from Xenonauts 2 is the thing that I want is for that guy who, you know, watches his friend get killed in the flanking mission and then bolts to come back into the next fight with like an adjustment to his stats that makes him a more interesting tool to play with. Like, I, I want the survivors to be interesting, and that's the thing I never feel like happens, is, like, the rifleman you're describing, who just whose job is to go out and, like, scout, never actually feels like they, they really develop into, even if they do survive, it feels like they never develop into someone more interesting. Or, like, a more interesting, like, tool on the board. Yeah, I'm not sure they, they do, but I'm not sure I need them to. Like, that's, that, mm-hmm. like, where I'm at is, so your characters do improve across missions. Various things happen on missions. They might get, like, different upgrades or different improvements abilities it's very slow it's it's a slow process getting these people up to being like elite alien fighters uh which is kind of nifty in itself where you will have your pool you're recruiting from and some people are just come in and they're just they're just good at this they are they're 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 top prospects they're good rookies ready for ready for the pro league and then there are people who are just not really cut out for this but you got to recruit them too because you don't have nothing but good prospects and so what you're not going you're not going to get things where it's like okay this character had this experience and they are now they have this debuff on them they have this trauma or this this bonus that they carry with them that, that is informed by their story which could be like i kind of miss that sometimes like i also had the moment of like i would have liked some sort of marker to be on this character from having the like you know, turned yellow during combat, you know, do they come back stronger? They come back like now does everyone really not not trust them? Either one is an interesting story. Instead, it's more like, well, they they might improve by one point and they become slightly less of a coward. Probably not, though, because they're still relatively going to be a coward. There's just no getting around that. Like their 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 bravery stat is starting from such a low place that, uh, you know, they, they will they will continue to be the, the weak link in certain situations. But yeah, you don't get that you don't get that great sense of like individuality from the personality standpoint. But there is a lot of individuality coming out from the like you know, honestly like the character sheet profile of these characters where you do have people who are just like stone cold unflappable killers and then you have people who are a lot more frail and you have to figure out how to use all of those all of those types of people on on right. your squads. Uh, and the way that comes through a lot is is employing different tactics, which is, I think, one of the nice things here is that it does these systems don't just create more variance in terms of outcome for what your troops can do. But like it imposes different tactics on you. Like if you have troops who can, for instance. There are some snipers where you can just have them go around a corner and you trust that if someone is around that corner far away they will be able to win that shootout you know they will just like snap the rifle down boom gone done you can't you can't like that is a valid tactic for someone who is such a dead eye and so cool that like they can just do that and whatever's around that corner they can handle it in that turn probably and if you try to do that with someone who's less capable 
that is not a thing you can do at all. That will just that will just get them killed. And so you do. It does force you to play these missions differently, knowing that like, okay, I don't really have my best. Uh, you know, I don't have my best sniper on this team, or I don't have my best like assault troopers who can cover tons of ground and take actions in a turn. And so I need to plan this out a bit as if everything's going to take slower and we're not going to put the damage down as reliably. So now what do we do? In that case, it's a lot of, well, way more smoke screens, way more suppression fire so that the enemy turns are less effective, way more flashbangs, uh, more actions being wasted on things that impose like status effects. But it turns out those status effects are crucial to keep your troops alive uh, and get like let you claw back some of the edge that you would have naturally if your troops were better. And so like, you know, there's there's all this going on in each mission. And that's kind of why, like, I intended just to check out. I, like, I should check out Xenonauts 2. And now I'm like, I love Xenonauts 2. I must play more of it. My <laughs> my one my one beef is, like, I think, I feel like they were promoting this as, like, their big 1.0 release, etc. There's still things in it that's like, we haven't finished this system. But, you know, as we leave early access, you know, this space here for something cool to happen. And I'm like, I would really love it if those spaces were filled out for where the game is at right now. Um you know, some of it's things they haven't, I don't think anyone solved. They have not figured out how to make commanding your uh, jet interceptors, attacking UFOs interesting. Neither did XCOM. No, it's one of those it's, things where it's like, <laughs> this isn't a fun system. Why are you trying to do it? And it's like, well, because XCOM had it. It wasn't good then either. No, it, <laughs> it didn't. It's like, the concept doesn't entirely work. And I think you can probably just like have it. Just have the interceptors roll the dice and see how the interception goes, and, and that's that. Uh, so it's I'm not surprised they haven't hacked that, and that that still has placeholder uh, info on it. I kind of wish though that if I, you know, went into the I want to personally command this this encounter, that the system didn't say this is unfinished and basically it's not you know it's not what we want it to be. Great, then maybe just give me the auto resolve option because this is not I don't need to play it either. Uh, so it's, it's little things like that where, you know, little bits of of polish you'd, you'd kind of hope to see at this point. The other the other thing I do have a little bit of concern about is the game does have story missions and events. And they appear to be enemy placement and randomized, but it looks like it's the same maps each time you do it. The same like general like vibe of the encounter. And more than I would expect. And I think this is a that one feels like a misstep. Because one, I actually end up thinking that XCOM itself, the the Firaxis version, tends to over rely on that stuff. Where your second or third time through a campaign, those beats that were so cool the first time through, yeah, I don't know that I want to play this mission again because I've I've seen it now. Uh, it's not not surprising in that way. Xenonauts has more of that than I would expect, and it's a game that actually lends itself to being very much more of a. Eh, let's see what the the random mission generator uh, throws together. So I'm, I'm surprised that it leans as heavily into um, like major plot missions. But, you know, it's it's still for if you're looking for that kind of tactics game and, and you know, this the summer turns out I am um, it, it delivers on that very, very well. And it ended up sort of unexpectedly really grabbing me this weekend. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Anything I think grab you all besides Baldur's, Baldur's Gate. Nothing. No, not no. even for a second. I downloaded the Banished Ooh. Vault. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And didn't play it because I got into Baldur's Gate. 
damn right. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I like, I guess for me, it was, uh, you know, it was it, like the other reason I got pulled into Zena Nazi is it perfectly fit the kind of week I had, which was, um, like MK was traveling. And so I was like, time to do some house projects. So I, like changed up the whole my office again finally got the the desk rebuilt correctly Mo- mounted the monitor on a monitor arm that's mounted the wall and like folks wow. you gotta get those monitors off your desk monitor stands who needs them i've got Take up too much space i've got arms that are great but i have arms that clip yeah, to I've the got back arms of my that deck are terrific yeah my 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 arms are connected to my desk i love these things yeah but I can't, either way, I can't just, commit to the wall personally. <laughs> but it's so strong. Well, so the the problem is this monitor is very heavy because uh, yeah. it's a yeah. ultra wide and it's just it's heavy. It's just heavy. And when I was looking at like the specs for these things, I think there are ones that I could clip to the clip to the desk, but it was like right there at the limit of tolerance. Right. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get this thing that. uh you know, goes into the the wall and mm-hmm. I can sling a hammock from it and sleep on it and that'd be <laughs> fine. And I feel better about that. Yeah. Um, so it was like, it was one of those weekends where the structure of, I'm going to play a quick mission of this and then continue to, because once you work on as a space, yeah, it's like, Hey, what are some other threads I can tug at? <laughs> what are the little house projects? Have I not done? What, what have I left to the side for too long at this point? And next thing you know, it's like, how did the contents of my office and like three different closets end up spread across my desk uh, for me to <laughs> for me to organize? Today yeah. I was Googling how to mount into brick. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 the life I'm about to enter is as I move in with my girlfriend, we we have permission from our landlord to like do we we can like paint whatever as long as they're like yeah paint it back we don't really care um uh, just as long as you like paint it back or something it's not a big deal um and so uh we're gonna get, like paint like a mural in front of the bedroom door which i'm like very excited about um but in addition to that we're also like mounting this like big ass tv uh on yeah. the wall and it's like a brick wall and so i have to learn a new kind of mounting um because I know other kinds of mounting. I'm fine like mounting something on like a stud or something. Uh, but honestly, brick seems easier. Brick seems like actively easier to work with than than trying to like mount something uh, on a stud, uh, which I'm actually very excited about. I don't know. They, uh, I think it's you know if you have the what you, you you drill through and then you put the anchor into the 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 hole you drill drill in the brick, right? It's a bit like really yeah. difficult drywall. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the process, yeah. Yeah. I love an anchor though. I'm I'm a, I'm an anchor lover personally. Yeah. I love nothing more. When someone's like use an anchor, I'm like, damn right, I will. <laughs> uh, anything. I'm like, anything I just oh, I wish I could just screw anchor. into wood. No, no, no. I don't <laughs> trust screwing into. I don't fucking trust screwing in. I I never have. I never have, and I never will trust screwing into wood. I would l- always rather put a little guy in there who expands to fill the whole space. It's brilliant. It's f- like when I when I think about the guy who made anchors as an idea, I'm just like, what a fucking king! What what an absolute yeah. genius who who looked at the key problem of using screws, which is that they rip everything the fuck apart, and was like, what if that was the point? What if the point was that it ripped everything apart and filled in every possible gap? That's brilliant. That's so good. <laughs> Ugh. God. God, I love a simple machine. 
I think I'm sold. I should, shit. I should have used. I should use anchors and that more more <laughs> aggressive. I should create little like piles. Wait, did anchor you not in. use anchors for your your wall your arm? Was it not required? Uh, they're very long screws. Okay, I mean, are they in, are they in studs already? Yeah. Okay, I mean, that's probably no. Not I mean, not going to drywall. Like that, you you couldn't you couldn't drywall anchor this because this thing would just like rip through the drywall. So it had to go into to a yeah. wood stud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I had there to are get, moment. Yeah, I I I learned too late that my all my studs were metal. Right. Uh, oh, what a terrible <laughs> feeling. Yeah, I had to get a whole different side. Uh, accessories it, like the 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 tv mount that i had did not come with any of the uh appropriate anchors for specifically metal they sell that separately and i was like i'm gonna mount the tv today when i went to go do this and just drilled into it and like hmm that's not the right noise and lo and behold, no I imagine it was quite the wrong noise <laughs> it was a bad noise let me tell you um I had a bit too. It's like if the, if the hardware had just come with the fucking TV mount, I would have been fine. But the fact that it, that's that's the only material that the base hard the base mount didn't come with was really annoying. Because like I I moved the TV off already. I disconnected everything. Now I got to put it back because it's gonna take like you know half a week for the little. Wait, there's nothing just in the city that could have filled the. Well, I got a specific thing, and they have a specific thing. It's, it's, I probably could have found Toggle Anchor somewhere else if I really wanted to. I just knew these would work because they're from the same company. It's like this is the this is the right. kit you, to use with this mount, so I didn't have to worry about is it the right screw size, yada 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 bullshit. So it's just like fuck it, I'll put everything back <laughs> instead instead of trying to uh yeah be like um let's let's compare some millimeter numbers and get this all right that seemed more annoying than just waiting yeah <laughs> for me it was like after so after the mounting stuff was done i mean it was, it was just it was really therapeutic just being like oh like the desk does flow better now like it all just makes it makes more sense i like nice i like where everything's placed better now it all it, it all just works there's more more space for things the uh i think the the camera placement the shot's going to be easier for for streaming and, and most importantly there's just less shit everywhere i had to um i had to nylon belt my capture PC to the undersized uh, CPU holder that, that came with this desk. So that was a nightmare. That was probably the worst part of it was uh, trying to, because like the nylon belts thing, right? Uh, you either have the right length or it's not buckling in tight enough to do anything, right? Like it's, it's <laughs> there's just like, there's no, there's no margin for error. And that really sucks when you're like, you know, trying to get adjusted while hold, bracing this thing in place uh, that just wants to fall out onto your lap. Uh, so that was that was not great, but that that was that was probably the hardest part. And then after that, it was like time to time to do a deep cleaning. Time to you know, I've come to like I can't live like this anymore. What's in this? What's in this bin full of old electronics? Turns out, old electronics. Ten years <laughs> worth of cell phones. What? Ten years yeah. worth of dead cell phones. Yeah. How many cell phones? I is know that this even? feeling. Uh, too many. 
I'm not letting it even start. There's a dead cell phone sitting in my girlfriend's bedroom right now. And she's like, we need to make this go away. And I'm like, we will be making, was I supposed to send that back to the insurance company? Yes, I was. Did I do it in time? No, I did not. They already charged me $300. Now that phone is going to hell. I wish, yeah. I wish it was easier to recycle a phone. Yeah. Uh, but that phone is now, that phone it needs to be recycled or something. Yeah. Uh, because it can no longer exist in the home. That's so God's I, phone now. This was the thing. I finally tore off the band. And I'm I was not like, calling. I am like, okay, who does e-waste uh, disposal and yeah. data destruction around here and finally found the place. And, uh, you know, the advantage of having 10 years worth of old electronics to junk all at once is you feel like it's less of a silly errand when you were carrying all this <laughs> stuff in and you were like, please take it, take it away. Yeah. Uh, make sure, make sure all of this is dealt with responsibly. Uh, your facility has, has certifications for this kind of thing. <laughs> and so like having that, like finally get off, get off my plate uh, as well as just coming to terms with like how many micro USB cables does a, does a family need? Way fewer than I had. Mm-hmm. But micro uh, U. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Talking about mini USB or micro USB? Because every moment of my life, I wish I had a fucking mini USB on hand. Micro USB can go fuck mini? itself. I haven't caught out. I have so many objects that need a mini USB. It's a, it's astounding. Are you sure? I always get yes. confused about which is which is which. Yes, yes. Scotto, Minnie's the, the weird one. That's the fat one, right? Yeah. That's the uh-huh. like the yeah, slightly... damn right it is. Yeah. What, what do yeah. you need that for? I haven't seen what that in did ages. I, need, I needed that for a microphone for years. I needed that for charging headphones for years. I needed that for controllers for years. Controllers use micro. Uh, I've known some uh, that nope. use mini. Mini was the PlayStation, PlayStation uh, 3. 3 controller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Thank yeah. you, Rob. I just mean modern, current, and the last generation moved to micro. So it's been a while since you needed one of those, right? Like, I don't. Uh... Well, the thing I just need to come to grips with is like having all this shit that I was like, well, you never know when you'll need it. Yeah. There was so much shit stored around here that I never knew what I had. And so I might as well not have had it. Like the mm. whole, you know, if I ever need this, well, if I ever needed it, I never knew where to look, which is why I have 50 of these fucking things. Because it was easier to be like, hey, can someone just drop off this cable? <laughs> things were out of few, hand, right? Kato. <laughs> things were out of hand. You kept a few though, right? Like you kept the amount that you would actually need. Oh, yeah, no, need. no, no. There's, there's, like a, there's like a little, um, a little, like, I don't know what you call it. It's like a, a box full of like cassette cases that have different cables now in them okay. uh, that have set aside, cool. uh, organized by connection type. Nice. Which is better That's than excellent. what I had, which was like <laughs> a bin full of cables. Oh, you mean like that bag over there? I, you can, y'all can't see the podcast listener can't see. You can barely see. But we see. can see it. Yeah. There's a bag back there. That That's like just an animal is trying to cr- try, crawl out of it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah so this is this this is the thing so like it was uh, a you know it was an act of of uh liberation from from a lot of crap and now i've got a a big pile of of garbage for for people to come <laughs> take away uh which i have to do every time i have huge amounts of crap to dispose of because the uh so dumpster you, you, politics in this building are a bit odd you you turned into you you, you had your king of executive function weekend that's great I'm, yeah, I'm proud of you. I'm happy. It couldn't have been me. Couldn't have it's, been me. It's, it's real close to dysfunction, honestly, because a little <laughs> bit like I wish I would like to be done with this task now. Yeah. Yeah. Can't. <laughs> can't. Nope. Sorry. Can't stop. 
have to keep have to keep organizing these these connections uh, and deciding what you need to keep. It's better than the other thing, right? Because it's better than the way we got there in the first place, (laughs) right? Like living for you know years in a place Uh, with like God, why can't I ever find anything when I need it? (laughs) Where's all my shit? Why do I have eight different standards of HDMI cable? And you know what, Rob? I hope this is the time that it sticks. I think it will. <laughs> I think I've, I think I've slain that dragon now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dragon defeated. Yeah, no, I think uh, you know. I'm 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 on a roll now. I'm confident. Oh, cool uh, pale round orbs here. Cool, cool pale round orbs. This dragon left behind. That's crazy. <laughs> Not my fucking problem. Though. Uh. uh Y'all heard of these? <laughs> Sometimes it wiggles. <laughs> I think you know what though. At least that, like, the hatchling would be a new interesting problem. I think the new, the new oh. thing being unleashed, uh-huh. yeah, would be different than uh, than than the other than the other situation. Like possibly, like if it, like if the new if the new hatchling is a different expression of this, but it's just a different situation, then that's that's exciting to me. Way more interesting than like. No, we have to we have to keep moving the box full of cables around. We couldn't throw that out. <laughs> Just imagining someone in a Witcher town being like, "Listen, Geralt, the last one sucked. This one will be a fun. Come on, this will be a, let's, <laughs> let's do a let's, fun one. Let's see what he does. Let's see what he does. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that was my that was my list of things that was keeping me from from Baldur's Gate. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, though, because I think before you went down the Baldur's Gate rabbit hole, Ren, uh, you were also, uh, you know, plumbing some other deaths with uh, Atlas Fallen. Yes. In the wet hot of Texas, I played Atlas Fallen, and now I have opinions about a game that is dry hot. A very sandy game for a very sandy time uh, in, in my life in the last few weeks. All right. So we are going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, you will hear Ren and Patrick talking about uh, Atlas Fallen. And then after that, we'll be back with Baldur's Gate 3 and the question bucket. So stick around. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar or you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com slash remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. 
And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, Remap Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget and, unfortunately, my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's right, that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. Okay, Ren, we are transcending time and space and also my vacation in order to have this conversation because I think you and I both thought I had put in my head the embargo for Atlas Fallen was a week before then we are talking about it as we're about to do now. Maybe you didn't, but I did. I put that in my brain. And so I I played three, three and a half hours of Atlas Fallen being like, yes, like going to check this out for this for, for the podcast. I played it. This game might be like, this is like a game of the year candidate style game. And like, let's go talk about it on the podcast. And then you reminded me, no, it's next week. And I, my desire to stick to actually being on a vacation and not recording something. We have, we have, you have walked half an hour back to your recording setup so that you and I can have this conversation and put it in the podcast. I, I didn't expect to, when, when you gave me code for Atlas fall, I was excited. But I didn't expect to be sitting here. I did not expect to be called in on account of this game and and agree with you and be like, yeah, I should be called in to, to chat about this because it fucking rules. This, so the, yeah, so Atlas Fallen is the uh, new game from uh, Deck 13, uh, a studio that I, I had to go look up and see. So they go on the map with Lords of the Fallen um, um, some years back, which was, is a... A well-regarded Souls-like, but I think didn't really rise above, like, competent scratches and itch. Well, didn't really suggest that it was doing anything particularly interesting as, as much as it was like, ah, you kind of made one of those, and it wasn't that bad. Um, before that, I mean, this is a studio, they're 2002. They made they're Transgender first- Ocean. <laughs> what? <laughs> They make it like stealth, a game called Stealth Combat. 
2002. 2004, Carnival Cruise Lines Tycoon 2005, Island Hopping. Ankh. I don't even know what that is. Ankh, a graphic adventure published in 20, 2005. Obviously a very different studio than the one we are looking at now. Space Hawk. In oh, oh, okay. I, all right. I have to admit, I couldn't tell if you were doing a bit when you said Trans Ocean 2. No. You, and you did mean a game called Trans Ocean 2 Rivals, a sequel yes. to yeah. Trans Ocean, the shipping company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did they develop that or just publish it? So that, um, this Wikipedia page does not list TransOcean, but Trans I, Ocean I, I believe you. It's on the Deck 13 website. You're, you're, you're showing it yeah. to me. Um, I am showing it to you. So they, so they, Lord of the Fallen kind of puts them on the map in a modern context. Uh, and then the Surge, the Surge 2. Um, uh, and this is with like their, their development history is 2014 Lords of the Fallen, 2015, a game called Imagoris. I, it doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. I don't know what this game is. But then, more importantly, for our purposes, 2017, you get the Surge. 2019, you get the Surge 2. 2023, we get Atlas Fallen. Uh, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but uh, the Surge for me was, I think this is interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated by it, but it didn't it didn't really strike me as something I needed to spend a ton of my time with. And I played both the Surge and, and its sequel. But for you, what was interesting about those games beyond just I can whack a robot in a specific spot and knock it off. So uh, aside from you can whack a robot in a specific spot and knock it off, like I think that is fun. But also I think that those games like in the Surge 2, they like really refined their blocking system into like this directional blocking parry mechanic that's like very engaging. Uh, It's really fun to like look at an enemy and be like, ooh, where is that attack actually going to hit from? Let me. So basically the way that blocking worked in that game is you could hold the block button to block an attack. And then you also had the ability, when you blocked, it brought up a little wheel, and then you could use the stick to basically block the attack from to, to try and parry it from a specific direction, which meant that you took less damage and, like, effectively dealt posture damage to your enemy. Mm. Um, and so that, combined with the limb targeting, was really sick. I also think that, like, that game did its limb targeting really smartly from, like, a narrative perspective, because, like, it... The thing that I loved about The Surge, too, is that that is a game, like, about labor in a lot of ways and about, like, people being turned into tools, basically, like, people selling their bodies to be able to, you know, be better at labor, and then those systems breaking and taking control of them. And is so, it, like, if my memory of, serves correctly, like, isn't your character disabled prior to, like, joining The Surge That's program? the Surge 1. The Surge That's 1? That's the first okay. Surge game. The, sur- yeah. the second Surge game, not so much. Gotcha. Uh, but the first Surge game, yes, it is explicitly about that. And then so the limb cutting for as like weird and like <laughs> fucked up as it is ends up being like a pretty brilliant commentary on the ways in which like people are dehumanized, like through specific like labor programs and like through specific like kinds of labor. People are quite literally dehumanized and turned into parts like that is that that is the mechanics of the game. It's so on the nose, but it's on the nose in a way that I was like, okay, this is clever. I like (laughs) I think that this is a clever way to do this like narrative beat in your gameplay systems. And from that point forward, I was like, okay, I like trust these people to make an interesting one of these. Will it be my favorite thing on Earth? No. Will I finish it? Probably not. But will I find it, like, deeply fascinating? Yes. And honestly, I think, like, that's where I come down with Atlas Fallen, where I'm like, I I think in the long run, 
I will like this game pretty good. But in that first like six hours, I am fucking in love with it. Because like, I think that as it, as it'll go on, the, the combat will like, I'm worried about the combat maintaining like complexity and like engagement as I get further into the game. But like those first few hours are fucking incredible. Uh, and I also like, I think that the pitch on Atlas Fallen is really engaging. Yeah, I... I remember, we, you know, at some point at Waypoint, we did a stream where we watched a trailer for this game. We're like, oh, like, this is the new game from The Surge, folks. Like, they're doing interesting work. I, oh, they're doing, like, a little more action-tilted game in the sand, I guess. And we also had Forspoken coming out. So, truth be told, I think both of us were kind of left with, well, hopefully when it shows up, it's interesting because the studio's done interesting work. But I don't know that it went beyond, um, and also even the name Atlas Fallen is a little. It's really it, bad. It's 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 really easy. It, the trailer was a little forgettable. The name is extremely forgettable. Um, and so I went into booting up this game out of not out of a sense of obligation, but a like curiosity. Like what did what did they take a whack at this time? Mm-hmm. And was just <laughs> found myself just co- completely floored. Like. You know, this has been, you know, your professional job for a couple of years now. And it's been my professional job for, for a long time now. I am broadly, I kind of know what I'm getting into with the game. Not that I've made up my mind, but I kind of have right. a sense of how I'm going to react to a game. And then it's a spectrum on terms of like where it goes from there. I I knew very little about this. And so the table setting like really hadn't been done. And I it's so rare to come across a game that you get into that you at least know about a little bit. And to be completely like, like, like just completely floored, blown away. This game, I had no sense of the fact that it was going to combine. It's it has senses of a Souls game, but mm-hmm. is I think more in line with a Devil May Cry than um, than anything else, like a more traditional character action game without losing some of those Souls design philosophies, which we can we can get into. But it's it's a different style of of combat and action approach and 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 also just a relationship with like death and and health management but i what i didn't know was that it was also like an an open world exploration platformer with really good feeling jump dash patrick, slide mechanics dash. patrick have you noticed that the air the dash little flutter has- the flutter? Is uh, this what we're talking the little, about? The flutter? The little <laughs> flutter at the end. But also the fact that, like, I think to get the little flutter, you have to do it at the right time. So, like, there's, like, the air dash, and then there's, like, an extended version of the air dash, where if you air dash at, like, the right point in your jump, you get, like, a little bit of an extra boost. It's very akin, this is the goofiest possible comparison, but if you have uh, ridden Yoshi in the Mario games, when you hold the jump button, you get Yoshi kind of flapping their wings the a little bit I can do the and noise. <laughs> yeah okay hit me <laughs> yes um and it reminds me of that but like a superhuman <laughs> like doing that as they're air dashing across the sky you just get a little like whoop and they, they like get a little extra distance because a lot of this game especially as you're exploring the bigger open spaces is is looking at like i think i can get there and then trying to figure out if you actually can. And I think there are some instances where, like, you can get upgrades to your dash. But I think there are instances where you don't need that upgrade. If you just kind of know the timing and exactly how to put together what you've got, you can do that before the game is going to make it easier for you with a set of upgrades. It's so fun to get that shit right. But also, like, the way I would, like, describe it is, like, have you ever been, like, really knocked the fuck around by some water? 
Have you ever in, in, in IRL in real life? Like yeah. In an have you ocean? gotten your like, Have you gotten your shit yeah. pushed in by ocean? Yeah. I feel, I feel like I feel like I, I most of my experiences in a lake, and then every once in a while I'm near an ocean, and what you realize is those are different bodies of water with different mm-hmm. speeds. <laughs> they sure they sure are. But like the way that you like come to a halt reminds me of the way that you come to a halt after being hit by a wave where like your limbs are kind of like splayed out for a second but then like your body like comes back into alignment it's it's a very good animation it's a really good animation on that flutter that we're talking about at the end Um, and it just it just makes for such an interesting to have this game come a little over a year after elden ring in which we elden ring was an example of from software exploring what does it mean to have a bigger space um, yeah, because so many games, especially in the Ubisoft variety, uh, I don't feel like, you know, they don't like the space is big because the space is big and it does. It frequently does not go beyond that or use that space in an interesting way. And I think Elden Ring, I think it's like opening 15 hours or the most interesting use of that space. And the it becomes the, for river. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it becomes less interesting in the like back, you know, 40, 50 hours of, of that game. Um, but here, it's like your relationship to combat and exploration are, are are really tied together in which the exploration part is not just getting from one section to the other, but the like actually mounting huge uh, like platforming sections, like getting meaningful upgrades at the end of those. And it feels good to do it, like getting around with your horse in Elden Ring. It's funny because it's goofy and cumbersome, but it's not like. It's not good platforming. And here they have made a I'm not going to put it up against, you know, a Nintendo platform, but like it feels good to control and mm-hmm. makes me want to ex- like I am looking at the space differently because I see a tower. And as opposed to being like, ugh, like, how am I going to get up there? It's like, huh, how am I going to get up there and being excited to do that traversal? I found these ruins. Uh, and one of the things about these ruins is that they have these like big craters in the side of some of the like pieces of architecture um and one of the things i realized is like i can get up this area a little bit earlier than the game wants me to Mm -hmm. if i like jump up and then i dash because the the air dash you can curve it and so i curved my air dash basically around this thing and made a 180 and like jumped and like air dashed into this hole and then i jumped out of the hole double jumped and did it again and was able to get up to this area like way not way but like a little bit earlier yeah, before and, like, they kind of like it was kind of a soft lock uh, that they have for for the player and this game is very generous on i mean the speed running on this will probably be pretty hysterical because the game is super yeah. generous in terms of like well am i supposed to be able to go up this geometry and you can just kind of shove your guy like in like the game is very generous in terms of um allowing the player to have some creative interpretation of what it means to jump up um uh, a space but that is a a a playfulness that whether intentional or a byproduct of how they put together the traversal um elements is is really delightful because it allows you well maybe that is possible and like frequently or frequently enough anyway it is and the fact that it is a character action game that shares a lot of DNA and philosophy with uh, way less the surge, more although there is some element of the you know attacking specific parts of a of, of a creature. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we spent this much time talking about this element of the game without talking about what is equally impressive, if not more so, the the combat stuff at least early on before we get to some of your concerns about what it's going to feel like you know fifteen hours in. But this game's combat is. It's not that impressive right out of the gate because it's a little bit of hit X, hit Y, hold X, hold Y. 
But do you want to explain like the depths of where these mechanics mm-hmm. go yeah. once you get like two or three hours in this game and you start to realize, holy sh- like holy shit, what is this game doing with like otherwise systems that we're pretty used to but are flipped on their head in really fascinating ways? So Alice Bowen relies on the system called Momentum. Like it is a normal character action game in terms of like you have two weapons that you equip like most character action games, right? You're trying to balance like the different types of weapons with one another to do like cool combos by switching between weapons on the fly. Um, You can equip two weapons at a time. One of them is on the X button. The other is on the Y button. There, it's pretty standard. You have your XXX combo and then a YYY combo. And then the two weapons don't talk to each other that much. It's not like XXY has a different combo ender than like XYX. Uh, there are just like the, the those basic combos for the most part, right? But what the game does have is a system called momentum, where every single time you hit an enemy with one of these attacks, you build a little meter. And what that meter does is it doesn't just like in a like the average character action game, you would like unlock new attacks or something. But in this, it changes the moves that you that you have access to. And like changes their timings, changes their damage, changes their like attack the radius. Changes. Like it, right. essentially, like it is, it is locking. Uh, where in a traditional game, you might you might upgrade a weapon and then get access to or use a skill tree. Like mm-hmm. here, it is it is locked behind this momentum system that it goes across. At least it's three bars where I'm at. I don't know if that 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 meter it changes. Stays at three. Stays it at stays three. At three. And. And not only are those like move sets and timing sh- uh, changing, but then you're also there's there's risk involved, which is that you you deal more damage and take more damage. And so if you want access to those higher level move sets, um, d- yeah, you can you can deal it out, but also it's going to get dished back at you. And so that and you can also you know getting rid of momentum, choosing when to do that strategically, then becomes like a really interesting moment-to-moment question for the player as they try to figure out what am I actually trying to accomplish here because it's aesthetically it's it's kind of needling the player because your sense is always we were talking about this with Final Fantasy 16 right like the joy of watching a meter fill and then executing whatever is granted to the player on that meter filling and most games the vast majority is like meter goes up meter good always want the meter to go up and here Yes, you want the meter to go up, but your relationship with it going down is is one that you're thinking about. And also, the other thing about those games is like meter go up, good and over. Fight over when meter go up enough, or fight mostly over right. when we when meter right. go up. Enough. You get to do Where the super move, and then you're you're wasting the battlefield. Exactly, and like here, it's like the super move is just another part of your kit that you are expected to like integrate into. A given fight. So basically the idea is that uh, at level one, level two, and level three of momentum, you get access to an ability called Shatter. Uh, and what Shatter does is it turns an enemy to crystal, which is also what the game's parry does. Uh, so it slows them down and like changes their attack God, timings. We haven't even which talked is, about the parry yet. We'll, well we get there. Talk, we haven't even chatted. <laughs> no. um, and so uh, what Shatter does is it basically empties out your momentum bar in exchange for an attack that can like straight up one shot smaller enemies. If you use level three momentum on a smaller enemy with full health and like a Shatter, you will fucking kill them. They will be dead and in hell forever. Um, on and the game communicates en- this to you, right? Like because mm-hmm. the 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 game is frequently using a dynamic of big enemy, smaller enemies, and then you trying to use those smaller enemies to, you know, gain your momentum and using that stuff against the bigger enemy. Um, 
you you have situations where uh, the game will at least like it knows you're dealing with a lot. And so it's like, hey, your shatter's available. By the way, if you've forgotten or just haven't kept track, you will we have done the math. That will one hit kill like what's in yeah. front of you. And you can use that as a way. I like the way that it uses UI in order to balance, like help you track like all the different variables you're dealing with. Right. And also prioritize targets, because yeah. like in a fight against a larger enemy, it has like individual part targeting and sometimes with for example like the sand whip my attacks with the sand whip were hitting and damaging multiple parts of a monster at one time at level three and there would be moments where i would be like actually i know so with larger enemies in this game there are some parts you have to break to kill them and other parts that are optional to break for additional loot and some one, one time i was in this fight and i was like using the sand whip and i get up to level three shatter and i'm like great and then I look at the enemy and I notice one of their health bars is blue. And I was like, oh, I haven't been targeting that part at all. But I can just quickly jump over, shatter that part, completely take away that part of the enemy's moveset, and then keep the fight going. And like that was like such yep. an engaging feeling and like such a cool decision to make that like in fights with multiple enemies, when you're dealing with multiple threats and like all of them have, you know, different levels of health and like different threat profiles, it's like, okay, cool. Let me choose when to spend this resource effectively. But at the same time, the other thing you're doing when you're spending that resource is you're losing access, not just to like the upgraded versions of your attacks, but also to the abilities that you have slotted into your character. Uh, because this game has some like pretty cool character build oh, stuff. This is such a neat idea. Like I, It's so rare to play games. These So many games feel like refinements of existing ideas and it's so rare to come across something that is like a genuine, oh, I never would have even like considered it. And this was one of those moments that is so rare. I played so many games, but yeah, this system is fascinating. So basically you can attach different abilities to your momentum gauge and be like, when I hit momentum level two, I also, not only do I get boosted damage and take boosted damage and get access to shatter, but I also get access to a special ability that I can yeah. use and a bunch of special passives. And that's where like your character build starts to come together. So one of the like things that I have is once I get to level two momentum, my character gains additional momentum uh, upon like taking hits. Oh, sorry, upon like getting like certain kinds of hits. Mm -hmm. And so I get, I basically get accelerated. It's like my character shifts into second gear. <laughs> the moment I hit momentum level two, I'm like, okay, cool. Now I can really quickly to build to level three and then shatter. And then at that point, it's like, okay, now I'm back to one. Let me see if I can get up to two to activate this like different style of play. And so it has this like building effect that your character gets stronger and then weaker over the course of battle, but in ways that you choose. And like in ways that are like really interesting. Uh, some of these abilities that I'm talking about, these passives can also have like changes to how your moves work. Uh, one of the ones that I found uh, at level two, my character, whenever I use the slam attack, uh, which is like the airborne finisher mm -hmm. where you slam the ground. If I do that with the hammer, it leaves an area of damage over time to like tick away and like bite away at enemies. And then if you combine that with an ability that um, crystallizes enemies every time you hit them at level two, suddenly you leave this field that is like slowing and crystallizing enemies as they're left in it. And it works really well against a certain kind of enemy that digs underground. And if you slam while they're underground, they pop out and are and instantly crystallized. And then just get stuck in, your little, stuck in your little portal. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's, like, sick, I, I, it's sick. And I just got one that, that isn't part of that system, but I'm, I'm reminded of, of like, so the momentum stuff is a huge part of what I, why I found the combat very interesting. Like it's a d- direct extension to my, my, the fact that platformers are my favorite genre. And I'm always excited when then momentum becomes critical and interesting in a game that, you know, or a genre that doesn't necessarily always consider that to be a priority. But like here, like the dash is critical to a lot of your movement in combat. And I just got this ability literally right before we we started recording, which was, so um, a lot of times like you'll, like the opening set of weapons, right? Like you have one where you hit Y and like, it's this long um, uh, attack that can also drag you closer to the enemy. And so it's like really (laughs) satisfying to like see an enemy from like yards away, like tap Y and just get in there and start fucking them up. Well, what's like very common is like, well, if if you get into a scrum and you need a breather, you're going to dash out. Well, I'll, so I will, I will hit Y dash in, jump up, dash out. But then I also have this ability that's on cooldown. That's like one of my like specials is like that essentially like sends you back in like, like an arrow and like yeah. slant that's a little AOE thing. And so I'm, I'm like zipping in, zipping out, zipping back in and just doing like an extraordinary amount of damage. It looks super cool. Um, and it's just, it has such a good feel to it. Like it just feels good to do all of those things in a way that um, is extraordinarily difficult to pull off for a game that is as, as speedy and zippy as this is. Well, the other thing is that um, the thing that I feel like we've, we've undersell undersold here is like, how much harder the moves get to time as you get better momentum. As yeah. you get higher momentum, the attacks get so... A level three momentum whip attack takes like five fucking minutes of just like <laughs> you spinning the sand whip all, all around you. And it's like, as you get up into those higher tiers, the game isn't just getting higher risk, higher reward in terms of like the amount of damage your attacks do mm-hmm. and like how much damage you receive. The timings get higher risk where right. it's like, okay, cool. When I could have like gotten in a couple of easy hits before, now I have to wait for like way more like large like timing gaps. And so it like shifts how you're approaching the fight. It's sick as hell. I feel like a weak, like a a less interesting version of this game would have just made your weapon stronger or would have just like done the damage stuff as opposed to like making the animations so significantly different that it like legitimately alters how you're playing the game. Yeah, um, it's, it's almost it's, in, in some ways it's almost like a difficulty slider for yourself where it's like you're you're kind of in. Yes, you can do you're dealing more damage, but also for a lot of players, I think it's going to be totally normal to like hit level two shatter and just like I don't really fuck with level Three. like that's just yeah that's just that's beyond what i maybe you get an attack or two in but you're sort of like in and out and just happy that you got the shit the shatter in and then you know alongside what you know it's worth pointing out like this game has uh you know uh an estus flask sort of equivalent but one that is not just refilled upon finding uh an anvil which is its bonfire equivalent but is actually much like the momentum meter is filling as you are attacking in combat and so you are encouraged to be aggressive because yeah, you might take some hits, but in theory, once you get out of there, do your shatter, like your health, you know, your your health pack's gonna be nice and filled up and you can you can apply a couple. And boy, do you need them because yeah. enemies in this game hit like a fucking freight train. They hit so hard. I mean, I, maybe it's just because of the difficulty I was playing on, but like I am getting my shit kicked it. My I remember I was I was playing um I was playing on Steam Deck while I was on vacation with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And this was 
honestly, it gave me like a not the best first impression of the game because I was like, wow, I don't know if this game's like timings are great. The problem was the Steam Deck's frame rate. <laughs> that was the problem. Yeah. It was my yeah. fault. Um, <laughs> but I was playing. And at one point, my girlfriend looks over as I'm doing this fight. And she's like, why are you doing this? Seems too hard. Why are you doing this to yourself? And I was like, I can't tell if the game is hard or if my Steam Deck is just running it like shit. It was the second one. But also like, this does get at that, that that interaction does get at the fact that like this game wants you if you like play it like a, I think I'm playing I might be playing on hard maybe I'm playing on I don't remember you have actually. to be I, I I am playing on normal not granted you're further than me but um it pushes back it's not easy but I don't think yeah. I'm getting the same pushback that that you are yeah I got my ass handed to me by a couple of creatures um and you know one of the reasons that like frame rate is so important to this game is that it has one of my favorite parries in recent memory because you, it is the parry from um it is not the only game to have done this style of parry patrick do you remember the other souls like game to do this style of parry can you give me a hint mortal shell i did not play that one <laughs> i played that one i reviewed that was one of the first games i reviewed for fan i remember I it I, i'm definitely i'm always cognizant of like any of these ones that comes down the pipe but i think i looked at that one and went i'm good um really uh. <laughs> gorgeous area design but that game's block you didn't block with your weapon you turned your body to stone which also varied your attack timings. So like that was a cool thing about Mortal Shell mm -hmm. is that like you could do an attack, see an enemy coming at you and then like harden yourself mid attack. And so they would hit you, break through the like stone, your stone skin, and then your body would regain its momentum from the uh, from the freezing. And then you would follow through and like smack the shit out of them. And so like you could block in the middle of attacking, but it was like way, 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 way more dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, and it was it was really cool. Uh, it was a really fun, like cool system. And that is what this game has, where instead of blocking in the traditional sense, your character turns their entire body to sand or like to sand, stone. sand skin, I think is what it's called, sand or skin? stone scanners, yeah. something like that. But yeah, it's just like, come at me, bro. Like, hit me. I'm ready. <laughs> and then they bonk off of you, and it fucks their little hands up, and it turns enemies to crystal. So if you get a perfectly timed or a correctly timed parry, which the game actually indicates very well. Um, it's a, and it's a pretty wide win. Like, if you are functionally kind of hitting a block, like, yeah. the timing of it is not, like, there's Sekiro... And like, yeah. th th and there's, I think maybe like, uh, uh, like the, with the Jedi, uh, the games are doing with like, mm -hmm. this is somewhere in between, but like, it's pretty generous. The game wants you, whereas in a Dark Souls or an Elden Ring in which parry is like very optional and like weapon specific, it's like, it's a mechanic, but we're not at like, this game wants you to, like the parry is deeply integral to you doing crowd control in, yeah. in combat. Um, and so it is generous enough, like most players are going to want to and should engage with it because it it's very satisfying to do uh the game has great ui elements to make sure that you're keeping track of it which is like it's not just the enemies that are in front of you making like a red flashing indicator that you should start tapping that button or get ready to but there's also a circular indicator around the character so that enemies that are out of frame not within camera view you also know when they are also getting triggered for that same red flash and so those are harder to pull off than the enemy in front of you, but the game is giving you the information 
to do all of that if you want. And what's critical about that is that the, the parry is on a, a really fast cooldown, but a cooldown that if you, uh, I guess, what, what, what like, if you get hit, does it? it, does it, I was trying to figure out what triggers the actual, like, cooldown. Is it if you, if if you, you miss the timing? If you whiff a parry. If you, if whiff, you whiff a parry. A parry. So, okay. like, if you just parry out of combat, it will still do the long cooldown. So the cooldown is is basically instantaneous as long as you actually manage to pull it off. So, like, if a bunch of enemies attack you, you can go parry, 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 and you're fine. But if you get if you miss that first parry, you are going to be hit by, like, all four of those attacks. Right, and I, I faced uh, a the, one of the last enemies I, I fought just before we did this was this, like, big crab enemy. So he's got... Oh, you know, he's I got love big, the crab. Yeah, yeah, they call them the wraiths in, it's like, the enemy type in, in, in or the enemy, uh, it's like... The, the capital E enemy are race, and then there are specific enemies underneath that. Uh, anyway, it's like this big crab, and um, he swings, like, sw- swings each of it, you know, rah, rah. And you, if you block one uh, of his attacks, um, it doesn't freeze him, but it slows him down. And then he attacks you again, and you have to parry multiple of these in a row, and then boom, he completely crystallizes, and you can like do a shatter and just completely ruin his fucking day. And it feels it feels so good to hit it and know that it refilled. Like there's something about the fact that you are rewarded for the good parry, so that you can do the parry again. That makes hitting it the second time even more satisfying. And then watching the enemy, because a parry is, I mean, it's fine enough, but like the fact that it has a material impact and an aesthetic impact just makes it like just cooler to do when you know that you're getting that kind of meaningful benefit out of the timing. Well, also the slowing them down alters the timing of the parry. Right. So like the next, the next hit has slightly different timing. And so like, there's a sense of like dynamism to it. Whoa, it's easier unless you get hit with the second hit. Because if you get hit with the second or third hit, what happens is your timing is completely thrown the fuck off because now you have to get the second or third parry, but you don't have like, the easy footing that you had before. And so, at least for me, when I get hit with that second attack, if I get hit with the second attack, I'm expecting the timing from the first attack when the third starts coming, as opposed to the slowed down timing from the second attack. And so, like, it's those little things, those little variations in terms of, like, rhythm of combat that I think make this game's, like, systems really shine through is, is, you know variations in momentum uh is is variations in like timing and like the ways in which like if you get stuck if you get like in a moment of inertia you really have to get your momentum back both mechanically and also figuratively or you are fucked uh and i really really appreciate that about the game um and just the fact that it's fast is different than if you've played a lot of games like this um you know even this one is more character action than it is souls even if it you know carries some of that um that feeling with it just the speed of it is just like fascinating in and of itself to just be moving and dodging and attacking at the speeds that this game demands of of the player it just it gives it a completely different feel that is so you know it's like it is literally the polar opposite of the surge right like the surge is slow as fuck like on on purpose like it is a very deliberate um uh slow pace to that style of combat and a lot of these games uh, tend tend to have that you know absent a game like Sekiro that that is, a, is certainly a little faster but um before we get out of here cuz i'm sure we'll be talking about this game again as you and i get deeper into it uh you have raised some concerns about the kind of ceiling of 
the combat uh, in terms of whether it gets maybe repetitive as you start to get like further into it? Like where, where are your concerns in that regard? My real concern is just weapon variety. Like that's, that's, that's the thing at the end of the day is that like, there are only three weapons in this game. Uh, one of them is a big ax that's kind of crowd controly, does a lot of damage, pretty slow. Uh, and the second and third forms of the axe are even slower. Patrick, have you, have you, how do you feel about the second and third forms of the axe when it gets really slow, but like massive? And if you use it in the air, you hang in the air for fucking ever. With it is it. sick. And you can do that incorrectly. And it's like, well, <laughs> this wasn't what I meant to do with this, but cause I'll, because you use the, and that's the trick to the, like the third tier of the weapons is now nah, it's a little different for you cause you're further, but like. It's rare for me to like it's if you're doing like individual skirmishes, you may not get enough momentum to even get to that third level. And so the the times when I have longer combat encounters where it comes up, I will just forget how they work. And it's like, well, <laughs> completely fucked up the timing on that because I didn't I couldn't remember how how long it was going to be before that weapon actually did what I wanted it to do. But it is sick. Like the game makes you feel cool doing those moves, especially if you know how to deploy them. Yeah, it's it's so fucking sick. But there's only three weapons. Uh, one of them is the big axe. The other one is like a crowd, more crowd controlly whip. Uh, and then the final one is the single target DPS option, which is a pair of fists. Um, those are the three weapons. That's it. I think that the variation and like the variability can come from those traits we were talking about before, mm -hmm. because some of them do change the properties of specific attacks. And the game will be like, hey, this is going to change the property of the specific attack. And it also lets you build loadouts. So like you can be like, ooh, let me put on my fist and, and knife loadout. And the game will like auto slot in all of your like abilities for, for that particular loadout for that particular fight. And so that is my only worry is that like the lack of weapon variety will lead to every fight starting to feel solved in a way. Uh, if, if you make like a, a, a relatively good build, that is my mm -hmm. only concern. Uh, because otherwise, in terms of game feel, it feels fucking terrific. Uh, yeah. I'm not worried about the game like feeling bad at all. Um, so yeah, that is kind of where I that th those are where my worries lie. And like, I'm excited to check back in with it. And like, you know, I probably won't have much time to play it in the next like week or so. But like in the next few weeks, I'm really excited to like check back in with it. Maybe on the next recording and be like, you know, what what does the late game of this game look like? Because the information we received from the publisher was that like it's what twenty hours long. Yeah, there's in fifteen to twenty. So like that is that is meaningfully less than what some of these like that is more in line with an action game than it is yeah. the expectation one has. I mean, Elden Ring is an outlier, but like like these types of games, I don't know, tend to fall in like the thirty to forty five hour like mark. And so it definitely suggests that hey, we've designed and tuned the combat and weapon variety to be interesting and satisfying for a smaller, more focused experience. Um, and so th maybe that'll be what ends up being, being the case is that like, yeah, it'd be nice if there was more, but it's enough to get you through the story that they're, they're trying to, to tell. I don't know how I feel about that story yet. I don't know if it's more interesting for you quite yet. Mm -hmm. Like it hasn't really done too much for me uh, so far, but not much has, has happened. I I'm, I'm a bitch who loves faith. In, mm -hmm. in stories broadly. This is well this is a well-known fact about me. Mm -hmm. Love faith. It's on the character I don't think, sheet. I don't think this game is doing interesting shit with faith. Okay. And so okay. I'm just like, yeah, I'm just here. 
I'm ex- I'm just here. I'm here for the sand. I'm here for the big weapons, <laughs> and that's okay. That's and that's fine. enough. That's this, that that part of it fine. is so good that I I think I think it'll be just fine for for most people. And so, um, yeah. So we'll have to have to check back uh, in on it. Uh, I am d- d- part of the reason I wanted to make sure I came back and yelled uh, this game from the mountaintops with you is, boy, this feels like a game that is just gonna get. Completely, completely overlooked forgotten. despite the fact that it's like as excited as I am for Baldur's Gate Day and Starfield's coming soon, Armored Core is coming in a couple of weeks. It's just there's a lot going on. And if you or I, uh, people who are attuned uh, to like pay attention to a game like this, kind of got had this game sneak up on us, I'm, I'm worried uh, that uh, it's going to happen for this game kind of more broadly. Listen, if you need a pitch on this game, look at the timestamp, look at the timestamps in your podcast app of choice <laughs> and look at where this conversation started and look at where it ended and think yeah. about mm-hmm. how Just many games you've that. heard two people on this show talk about for almost 45 minutes in right. recent and, memory. And I am and I am sure that this is going to be right next to an hour and 30 minutes of Baldur's Gate 3. So just look at the time we're dedicating to yeah. Atlas Fallen on this on this Respect podcast. It. Respect it. It is, a, it is a cool a cool last game and I hope it gets the attention it deserves. And I, I hope it holds up uh through through the rest. But so far it has suggested to me that it's a it's a pretty special game. So um I am at the end of the day, I cannot control its success. I'm just happy in my heart that this game is very good. Um and so uh yeah that is oh yeah hit me. Bring back PS2 energy. There is some of that here for sure. Bring for sure. it back. <laughs> We're working on it one game at a time. Uh, Atlas Fallen, brick by brick. Uh, all right. And we're back uh, to finally dig into the game of the moment, Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, I guess to start us out, like, you know, the, the setup for the game is your character has been infected by mind flayers uh, who are sort of in, invading in, invading this realm and are menacing the city of Baldur's Gate. Uh, and so you, you sort of start with a character who basically has a, a bomb in their head. Um, the other thing, of course, is that this is a Larian Studios game, uh, you know, the studio behind Divinity Original Sin, but it is the D&D license. Mm-hmm. And I was always kind of curious, like, how would that how would that how would those vibes go together? Because like Larian have a distinctive, very un-D like, I think, approach to to like the games they made, or at least that was sort of my, you know, association from other DD systems I've I've played around with. Uh and so it's kind of I had misgivings about how this would play in reality. And I'm I'm curious, first of all, what what your experience of the D&D-ness of it all has been. I, if you would put a gun to my head and said, Renata, do you like Faerun as a set? Do you like the Forgotten Realms as a setting? I would never Before put a I gun to your head uh, over that. <laughs> you wouldn't. I, I think that would be too extreme. I, I'd like to know, but I wouldn't yeah. be like, answer it. Or, or else. Thank you. Or else. Thank, thank you for not threatening to shoot me in the head if I don't tell you how I feel about Theron. Which I but but I would have told you if you had asked me that with a gun to my head, I would have been like, Theron? Never heard of it. DD setting? Dog shit. Dog water. Don't care. Don't Who? care won't look. Whomst? Whomst? 
The Forgotten. I'm glad they were forgotten. That's not my problem. It's right there in the name. They're not called the Renata Remembers Them Realms. Um, I think that they've done some pretty marvelous work with 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 the setting work that they've done in Baldur's Gate 3. Because uh, I found myself caring about a bunch of shit and being legitimately like surprised and impressed upon like running into some factions in this game. Um, I'm sure people are worried about spoilers, everything. I have not gotten to act two yet. Um, let's try to avoid spoilers for the most part, I guess. Uh, but with the exception, with the acknowledgement that like we have to talk about what is in the video game and why it's good. I came across like a group of mushroom people who were like, the game was like, yeah, these folks just have a different idea of what consciousness is. And that's fine. Mm hmm. If you if you if your character is able to grok that these people just have a different understanding of consciousness and that's fine, then like there is this totally super interesting faction that you can interact with very early on that feels like it's in direct conversation with the game's like other themes about like mind flayers, right? What like it immediately this game confronted me with like an interesting part of this setting, which is like, why am I more why am I uncomfortable with mind flayers? Uh, and uncomfortable with necromancy, but cool with the weird mushroom people who resurrect people's corpses as new mushroom people. Why am I chill with that? And like, that is not the kind of question that I thought Baldur's Gate 3 would successfully make me ask myself within the first 15 hours of that game. Um, And so I, I, I've been like pretty roundly impressed by all of the setting work that's been going on and the ways in which like all of the characters feel like they are as part of a given part of the world as is like appropriate for like someone of their social standing, which is like really like characters don't feel like they're like pushing on the levers of power. And yet the world is still interesting in a way that I like really respect. So, uh, you know, I want to I want to get caught on a moment, but I do want to say like one of the things. So on the the stream that where where we created a character in Baldur's Gate, like I ended up, I I had two kind of things I wanted to do. One was like kind of a dirtbag character, like mm-hmm. a bit of a shit heel bard uh, type character. But the other thing is that the character ended up being a tiefling, uh, sort of a yep. demonic demonic race. Same thing I was not prepared for was that the place of tieflings in this world is very much uh, front and center uh, at the opening of this game where you <laughs> encounter what amounts to a refugee camp uh, full of tieflings who yeah. are being sort of evicted by the druids who are like, you're bringing too much shit down on us. But like, there's a lot of like politics here that as a tiefling character, yeah, like your interactions in the space become very, very different than I think of our playing a different type of character. Well, Rob, and now imagine playing a tiefling druid which is what I'm doing. Mm. I went into this not knowing what the beginning, because when I said that I, the character that I picked, my friends were like, ha ha ha, very funny. You chose the early access character. And I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, everyone did their second early access playthroughs as a tiefling druid for role play reasons. Because like, you are basically trying to navigate a ongoing dispute between, yeah, tieflings and the druids who live there. And like, it's an interesting dispute. And, like, the way that I, my character resolved that dispute was by, like, going to another druid and making a very compelling argument about faith. 
and like having a conversation about like scripture and being like citing scripture at one another to be like, no, 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 no. You don't understand how this is supposed to work. Um, you are using your faith to convince yourself that this is the only option. Uh, and it, and it was like, that was a really cool conversation that I like, I genuinely don't know if other players get. I don't know if people who aren't playing druids will be able to talk one of these characters into or out of doing something that they're doing. And I am super curious sick. about this. Like how, cool. yeah, go on. I was just going to ask. Which, Kaga. Yeah, no, no, you don't get that. Option. Really? Even with okay. persuasion, like I didn't get that sort of conversation. So you didn't, you weren't able to talk her down. No. Oh, Kato, I talked her down. From, talk her down from doing the ritual or talk her down from the kid? Both. The kid, I got I got, I got the kid out of there, right? Yeah. I was able to the do that. The kid I got out of there. After that. The ritual, were, yeah. No, the ritual, I couldn't stop the ritual, basically. Yeah, as a druid, I went to her and I was like, hey, listen, I've read the scripture that you're using. We shouldn't right. do the ritual that's going to kick all the like refugees out, right? Yeah. That was, yeah. That's well, basically it's, it's, it. It's not just that it's going to kick all of the refugees oh, out. It's removing them from a realm, right? They're just like piecing out. The druids are basically what they're doing is they're creating a shield that that excises them from the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. effectively. Um and then like one of the things like that I that I found was um a book that was basically the reason that the druids are doing this isn't just because they're refugees, because like that wouldn't really it wouldn't feel earned in that way. And that's why I, I, I like the conflicts in this game so far, because mm. all of the conflicts have enough pieces in them that they feel like there are real threats. It doesn't feel like a manufactured conflict that you are like coming in to resolve. Instead, it's like, oh, these refugees happened to be passing through this area just as a goblin army was forming completely unrelatedly because of the main because of some main plot stuff. As you are moving through here, and then these druids are like, we have an army at our gates, and we just can't handle these people. Uh, and then Kaga takes that, the one of the druid leaders, is basically just like, cool, I'm just gonna, be, gonna become a weird religious zealot. Uh, mm -hmm. And like, druid supremacist. Um, I always, I always got the, uh, the, the hint that Kaga was always like that i was just waiting for what's his face yeah. to like be out of the picture long enough to be like okay now <laughs> mm -hmm. time for the druid supremacy out loud <laughs> right uh, and so oh sorry please run no run. oh and i was just gonna say so like i've been really impressed with the setting work that's to return to the original question i've been really impressed with like Faerun as a setting and like being like oh there are interesting conflicts happening in this world and navigating them requ can require understanding them. Mm -hmm. You cannot navigate these conflicts without like understanding them okay. I also like love the goblin camp uh, as a piece of design. The goblin camp is one of the... <laughs> I look at the goblin camp and I'm just like, I think this may be one of the most brilliant pieces of design I've ever seen. I, I, I am... I, I am in awe of Baldur's Gate 3 as like a piece of design. I was gonna um, say, oh hi, Mina. <laughs> you were saying, saying you were saying that I think you're right that there's a lot of interesting, uh, interwoven sort of things happening as far as these conflicts go. But one of the things that I found I th that kind of took me out of it, I guess, was the goblins and their whole shtick. I guess, uh, in that they all have a shtick. Uh, mm -hmm. 
in the druid camp, I talked to different druids and they felt like whole people with different opinions. There are other yeah. people who also disagreed with the ritual happening. There are people who agreed with the ritual. And you felt like you could find differing opinions within that group of people. And every goblin I ended up talking to felt like a cardboard cutout of this is the goblin template of like, hey, we're we're funny little dudes who like to stab you. We're going to nick you. Funny little guys. <laughs> we're all funny little guys who are all in inherently bad so like you can kill us without feeling bad about it well the other thing is that and, and this is where i think it's messy is that like this is the com- most complicated part of like my feelings about dnd as a setting mm-hmm. D is really unsure about who gets personhood yep and like the ongoing central debate of dungeon like like within the community <laughs> within like different designers is like ooh, what is the what is the granting of personhood actually mean? Yeah. Uh, and like, who do, who do you get to play? Like, Hey, Hey, Kato, mm-hmm. quick question. Is a Nola person? Probably. <laughs> Are they in D and D? No. Yeah, and a D and D is a Nola person. <laughs> they can talk. They have feet. Like they can communicate in human English with their mouths. Yeah. Like they they do have opinions and feelings. No, but like, they're they're in the they monster manual. People. They're not people. They're in the monster manual. <laughs> well, plenty of pe- th- plenty of things that the game considers people are in the monster manual. But yes, yeah, yeah. um, y- you're right. They're not considered people in that way. And I, there's like, what did you do with the goblin? The goblin person the at the at the camp. Did you? Uh, the, the oh, what, pres- oh, you're talking about the druid camp? The yeah, at the druid camp, the prisoner. I told the person to fuck off. Like I told the person who was fucking with them to fuck off, and I was like, "This is my problem. I'm handling this yeah, now." Yeah. And then I talked to the goblin, and the goblin was like, fuck "I'm you. still in a cage. I think you're a bitch." Which, yeah. like, to be fair, yeah, you know what? Actually, you are still in a cage, and you do think I'm a bitch. <laughs> you know what? I can't. I can't fight with you on that because I'm not letting you out. Oh, I, <laughs> I let them out. Happen. How did that go? Great. I got I got to walk around the Coblin camp like... Oh, with- I just had to smear shit on my face, and I also got to do that. <laughs> Hold on, what? Yeah. <laughs> I talked to one of the goblins, and I was like, he was like, are you a true soul? And I was like, yeah. Listen, Kato, I've oh, okay, been okay, okay, everybody okay, okay, I'm a true okay, soul. Okay, 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 yeah, I yeah. can tell. any Anyone who asks, are you a true soul? Sure. Let me on in. True souls are what uh, the the absolute is a faith uh, in this version of Faerun uh, yeah. that is basically uh, a mind flayer cult. It's a cult being run by mind flayers mm. uh, to get people with mind flayer tadpoles together and organized into like an army. Um, and anyone who asks, are you a true soul? I'm like, yeah, sure, bud. I do have the thing in my head. Yep. Uh, actually, this led to a very fun interaction with uh, one guy who I I showed up at this at this place later on in Act One, and I was like, so one of the dudes is like, "Are you a true true soul?" And I was like, "Yes, I am." And then he was like, "Great, talk to our boss." And I go and talk to the they they wouldn't have let me in if I wasn't right. Um, and so I walk to their boss, and their boss is like, "You're true soul, right?" And I'm like, y- "Yeah, sure." And he's like, your idiot fucking buddy is over there. And he owes me like a thousand dollars. And I'm going to make that your fucking problem if you don't go deal with him. And I looked at that NPC and there was a dialogue option to be like, 
I'm going to be honest. I was completely fucking lying to you. I am not, in fact, <laughs> like, I have the thing in my head, but, like, because what happened was I had been sent there to kill that guy mm-hmm. from a third party, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be honest, dude. Like, a third party told me to come kill him, and then he was like, oh, want to split it? <laughs> <laughs> And, like, that was a very fun interaction because, like, I I played the politics right. I was talking to a Dwerger mercenary. Like, Mm. he doesn't care if I'm a fucking true soul or not. He lies to people all the time. It's his job. Why would he (laughs) give a fuck? I'm going to go help you kill that dude. It doesn't matter. And, like, that's where I'm really impressed with this game. And it's, like, setting work is that it, like, actually takes the motivations and, like, backgrounds of its characters seriously which is part of why the goblin camp is you're right kato a little bit disappointing and like in terms of like it not giving them the game itself not being interested in giving them full personhood yeah um because like you interact with them like and honestly you know what maybe this is a problem of us not going down the dark urge route or like the quote-unquote the evil route because like maybe the evil route engages with this a little bit more and i would be really fascinated to see if that's the case because Normally, I would not trust a CRPG to do this, but Baldur's Gate is doing well enough at most things that I'm like, damn, I bet there's some interesting shit in the Dark Urge route yeah. that like, I actually want to hear about and see. Yeah, there's like uh, the, the very edges of like uh, v- variety and like the Goblin Camp where you start talking to people, but it still feels like they 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 haven't figured out this thing, like where where they want this thing to land, right? They didn't give other things options uh uh um yeah it 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 also and maybe this is just a very specific interaction that i've had the this problem with but i did have a kind of weird issue where i said yes to two different people but in my mind i was lying to one of them uh and the game seemed to kind of ignore like it, it felt like both both uh like threads canceled each other out to a more neutral situation. Um, I'm curious if it was actually a bug because it's so there's so many there's so many interweaving interactions in yeah. this game that it feels like I did, might have just hit something because, and I'm 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 double checking now. I actually reloaded a save from before this decision to see if. I missed something by fast traveling, which is what it feels mm. like. I got to a place and it was somebody said they were going to meet me there. They weren't there, but there was a thing to continue the main story uh, without that person showing up. And so it's, it's a weird situation where I'm like, did I accidentally break something because I said yes in character, but what I was doing was lying to that person in my head, but the game doesn't recognize that, and it thinks I'm actually on these two, um, Mm -hmm. at, these two different paths that are at odds with each other in the, in the, in the thing. Sorry, can we set aside spoilers for one moment and actually have a conversation about what you're talking about here? The Um, specifics? Yeah, sure. We can, I'll mark here as like, yeah, I think. Okay. We're gonna do spoilers Rob, for like do you mind? ten Put minutes. Put this after the podcast. Sure. Like that's it goes at the end. Okay. Okay. Just wanted to check in. So let's uh, transition back to non-spoiler chat uh, here. <laughs> so I think one of the things that like emerges as we talk about this is 
I think the game does a great job of supporting this idea that there's a ton of different ways encounters and conversations can go. There's a ton of different ways like the story yeah. of Baldur's Gate 3 can like play out. But then also that does make it stand out more with those moments where it feels like you're not supported or it didn't anticipate something. And it feels right. like, oh, like I didn't expect this sort of like glitchy interaction or something like that. And it's hard. To, it can be hard to tell, like. Is it a glitchy interaction or are there things that I'm missing about what is happening here or like yeah. have I just not seen the way this thing is supported, uh, which is is funny. I think there's there's a lot of games of of this game's ilk. Yeah, that you encounter the 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 invisible barriers so early and so frequently that you just do get a sense of here are here are the play. Here are the things the game supports. You know, there are a few right. like lines of play. There are a few different like ways to resolve a thing and you have to sort of stay on those paths because beyond that like you don't have to go too far before a thing just doesn't work it's just not a possibility that's open it's kind of surprising how frequently it feels like in Baldur's Gate well one there is a thing you can try that like hey this is actually anticipated and supported but two you know every 10 feet it feels like you're also encountering evidence of like oh like and if I were a different sort of character or had Mm -hmm. like we're running a different sort of party. There's an entirely different like mm-hmm. thing that's possible here that I can only see like the, you know, the part that's just breaking the surface of the story. Don't know beyond that what is happening, but you know, curious how it would play out in my next playthrough. I, uh, I guess the, mm-hmm. I, I was just going to say really quickly, I sort of jokingly griped when we were starting the, uh, the, the our playthrough on stream, Rob, that, uh, they didn't have my, like, I'm currently in a campaign. They didn't have the class or the race that I'm currently playing. Um, and that's actually kind of a, like, not, it was a joke then because it's a ridiculous, like, there's a ridiculous amount of interaction that they've actually put in here, right? Like, the reason they stuck to the, the core, uh, player's handbook stuff, apart from just like the, um, immense amount of permutations even that allows, like, you know, there's just it's an impossible task like yeah. the, the, the there's that number what was that number that they put out uh 17,000 different ending combinations yeah it's oh. it's it's ridiculous it's too much it's it's honestly a, uh no wonder this game has taken a, a very long time <laughs> um and it's it's weird it's a it's a strange design space of like they had the the uh the, the the labor available to do so many permutations that even it it it's like surprising how well weaved all the fucking threads are and makes the small moments when those weave that 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 thread breaks stand out a little more but i wouldn't but it's still it still feels worth the, the other weaves right like it, I mean, it's kind of like the a problem for simultaneous games though right, right the better right. you get the more discordant it feels when you run into when the limits down. of the simulation it's like what, yeah. what this is suddenly a video game and this has always <laughs> been the problem is i think yes. you know there was a lot of you know certainly especially when you and i would have started playing video games you had to meet them halfway because they could do so little yeah you had, to, you had to go most of the way there and now they can go so far in supporting you and what you want to do that like now there are all sorts of potential moments where where you could come away from it saying like, wow, it really took me out of it when the game when I realized the game wouldn't let me do this or the, the game, you know, the game hadn't paid. I don't want to try try this. Right. But 
I think like one of the things that really surprises me here when, when I'm talking about the D and D stuff, like setting aside the 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 setting stuff, mm-hmm. I have always felt like the few D and D based uh, like computer uh, RPGs that I that I played. The problem is effectively that in a lot of those those situations, the D and D system ends up feeling like a combat system, a combat resolution they, system. Yeah, Ren. They turn into tactics games. Yeah. They turn like this is like CRPGs always turn into tactics games with like, and this is the thing that I find so fascinating about this game is that like strategies that felt like they were breaking other CRPGs or like really pushing their their understanding of like their combat mechanics to their limits are just like standard practice here in a way that I find like really fascinating. Where like Divinity has the same, and this is the thing that really impresses me about Baldur's Gate 3. Divinity has a lot of elemental interactions. That's its whole thing, is that like the combat is dynamic, tactics are dynamic because of all of these elemental interactions that you have. That is, that is the thing around which the world turns. The thing that's really interesting to me about Baldur's Gate 3 is that it takes those interactions and is like, this is not just for combat. Yeah. We are going to take like it, it's it's effectively an immersive sim, is what we're just we're, we're we're just describing an immersive sim, is what we're is what we're wrapping back around to. Is that like this is a game about systems talking to each other. And the combat system has never talked to anything else in in a lot of these CRPGs. Like it to a degree that is like legitimately very frustrating. And like here, you're right, I'm I'm not seeing that in in the same. I'm seeing it in a different way. This is DD to the degree that like I have a character who walks around carrying a bunch of barrels in her bag that she then throws at people and hits them in the head with her big barrel. <laughs> and that is a like way you can play this game. Like that is not the combat system. That is like a character fucking with the physics system and throwing a big barrel at a guy's head all the time to like knock them off of something. Well, and, and I think that's that's the thing is the thing that like jumps out at me throughout all of this is the way they've actually figured out a way for all the non-combat D&D stuff to be interesting and feel like it's a vibrant part of the world and not just a set of binary checks, even though like yeah. most of the checks are binary, like mm-hmm. did you, you know, pass fail. The difference is for instance, um, you know, when I think about like, go, just cause it came up on a AMC, the AMCA the other day, uh, Neverwinter Nights is effectively a combat game in a lot of places. And then like, you know, who do you talk to and, and who can, you know, there's a few like key character roles you can make, but by and large, that is, a, that is a game that like, in terms of what you're doing, it's a, it's a very hack and slashy tactics game, uh, using D and D rules to, to govern combat, which makes it made, always made it feel a bit like a, a bit of a slog to me here. It's like this is the closest I've ever seen to a game that feels like a very well DM'd tabletop se- session where all the stuff in my character's toolkit correlates with things I can interact with in the world and ways I can engage with characters or different problems that are outside the box of combat. And it actually unfolds in ways that are more interesting than well, if you have a high enough lock picking, you can unlock that back door into the into the base and the, mm-hmm. the fight is easier, which is frequently about as far as these things go. Oh, you're doing a stealth approach. Uh, well, the stealth approach gives you it funnels you back into the same encounter, but then effectively it, it plays out a really similar way just with some tweaks here. It's like, no, there's an entire like these things can basically unfold in completely different paths based on I want to charm my way through this as far as possible. And that goes shockingly far. This it isn't goes. this isn't Mass Effect mm-hmm. where it's like you can charm 
one of the 50 people you got to mow down in this game. Oh, I guess I won't fight you, Shepard. And they leave and that's it. And you pat you pass the, you know, the, the, the check here. It's like, nope, you can't in your example, Ren, like you talked down a character out of like core belief stuff. You can push things that far if you have the combination of like skill and then character background. Well, you can also do this like mechanic, like, you know, uh, honestly, Kato, I think that you may have had the worst possible experience of the goblin camp as a piece of design. <laughs> because like the things that I heard you say, I felt like I was losing my fucking mind hearing you talk about the, hearing you talk about that area. Because like, to use an example, uh, there's a character there who you can talk to and she'll like take you off to a side area um, if you talk to her. And what I did was I talked to her and then she brought me halfway to the side area into a clo- into a room with a closed door. Yeah. And I looked at the fact that I was in a room with a closed door alone with this woman before she took me to the other place yeah. that she wanted to take me to. And I was like, this is the best possible situation that I could fight this woman in. Let's see if I can take her out before she has the chance to call for help. And so I had my other characters jump in. Yes, Kato. Yes. But she was trying to help. No, she... Narrator voice, she wasn't. (laughs) Okay. If you think that... My my character's real dumb. I just gotta say. Very trusting of other people. Character Not thought, very, yeah, Kato's <laughs> character thought uh, the, the priestess was going to solve this whole mind flare situation, yeah. right? That and that's like, obviously. Yeah. Okay, well, that's great. But then, Kato, you shouldn't be surprised when the situation that you ended up describing in the cut segment happens when yeah, your yeah, character yeah. is an idiot who refuses to interact with the world. Yeah, yeah. It's no, it's it's or not refuses to. I apologize. That, it, that was that was unfair. It's less it's less that where I ended up. It's more that the the place felt a little closed off from other from moving yeah. forward at that point. Right. Um, if only it had just but, if only it had just popped up that okay, you're in prison, but we'll get you out somehow. Don't worry <laughs> right. about it. Like the, yeah. the way the way human and that's the weird thing. The game does have the human DM thing where it's like, wow, you really fucked up. Uh <laughs> all right, I'm gonna create a way for you out of this. I'm gonna and the game out. does that. But first it lets you sweat the way a DM would, but none of us expect a game like this to actually do the thing where it's like, right. I got you. Right. Well, it's it also doesn't have the other thing that teaches and this is something we were talking about last week when we were talking about the banished vault. It doesn't have the other players at the table. And I and I think that so many of the things we are describing here don't happen in the same way in TTRPGs because there's a there's four other people or three other people other than your DM sitting with you who would have been like, what the fuck? about and like there's no one to push back on like certain kinds of player behavior and so the game systems have to do it in some way um and i'm like honestly impressed by the ways that they have done that i am kind of i'm glad that they locked you in that fucking cage for a week (laughs) good you know what good for them yeah you well, I'm take glad that to hear L. they eventually passed passed you away out of the cage. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, which is the like that's the thing where it's like okay, even here, which is a pretty, you had to really find. It sounds like you had to really work at finding a way yeah. to get tossed into the slammer uh, in that in that scenario. <laughs> you, but you, you did. They, 
They give you a lot of outs. Yeah, they do but, give you a lot of outs. It's and pretty you obvious. Passed all of them, and the fact yeah. that even there, the game, the game solution is not like game over or look. You should just reload, dude. Right. Mm. You don't have the skills to get out of this. Sorry. Like if you were good enough, uh, like rogue class character, maybe you could get out of this, but you can't. So you're just fucked. But even yeah. there, the game was like, okay, so if somebody ends up in this situation, how do you get them out? Well, Deus Ex Machina comes in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the other thing, like. You know, just the way all this stuff is is woven together is is really cool. I think it's you know got some of the environmental uh, interactions that that are so satisfying. Like the divinity games, uh, they they come up here. It's always fun to sort of create little Rube Goldberg turns uh, that <laughs> that really trash large numbers of enemies. If there's a if there's a ledge in a combat space, <sighs> we are going to find people to we are going to find a way to get people to the edge of it. Uh, that's just, people are going off the ledge. That is, that, that is my guarantee. Well, I, it also gives moments that are like, even within the bounds of like a traditional combat system, they're like way more interesting. We're like, than, than anything I also have seen in CRPGs where like for this one fight, the way that I started it was I had someone climb up into the rafters above the fight and then cast hold person on the boss before he could react on turn on turn zero. And so the it starts with him being held person. And then I just had a druid and a warlock standing in front of the group of ads who hadn't aggroed on me because I'd talked my way in. And then they just did two sets of burning hands and took out all of the like ads in a single turn because I had successfully talked my way into the situation, cast hold person on this dude from the rafter so he couldn't see or stop me and then managed to like do like what was effectively a well orchestrated assassination attempt. I, d- I did a real assassination. I planned an assassination attempt and it worked. And like, I can't think of a single other CRPG that would have let me get to that point um, mechanically. The other thing I just say about just like narrative wise and, and the writing. Well, one, uh, this game has maybe the best uh, children and teenager characters I've, I've seen in ages. Uh, there are a lot of mean teens and mean tweens in this game <laughs> uh, that are that are just terrific. Uh, their absolute insolence and indifference to what people have to say to them is just like <sighs> chef, chef kiss. It's great. Um, but I think the other part that I really loved is, Hey, this refugee camp is full of some real dirtbags. And I love that because I feel like there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of games where it's like, Oh, won't you help the poor refugees? Won't you help all these small little beans who just need a savior to descend and, and, and handle the situation. And here it's like, yep, this is a community like any other. And there's some They'll people who are like, this ain't so bad. I'm going to skin these people for everything, everything is worth. And then they're like, there, you know, there's a range of things happening here and right. it's not, it's not a totally flat template for, Oh, like just, just help these poor pitiful souls out of, out of this predicament. Some folks want help. Some folks want to fight. And some folks are like, none of this is my problem. I'm here to get rich. Right. And so like, that's the other thing is like the world is, is, is mo- you are the main characters of this narrative. But the world does not, like, it treats you as important. You are someone who can resolve disputes, but these disputes are going to get resolved no matter what. It almost makes me, Kato, I'm really curious as to whether or not the days you spent in that cage had consequences. Yeah, I'm yeah. actually and part of why that, that quest like, thing broke curious. is that, that, like, oh, turns out 
They had time to get ready for that, like, raid because you were sitting in a cage for a fucking week while I was, like, assassinating people. And, and, and so the world reacted to that fact. And and maybe that's what's... Ha- that would be really interesting, honestly. Well, and, and there's just a lot of encounters where I'm like... I suddenly am like, I don't think my character has anything to contribute here. Like, characters are having it out, and I'm like... No, actually, these people, you know, this is a private argument. I like and that's weird because in a lot of RPGs, I'm like, well, sorry, the persuade button was lit. Uh, I had the (laughs) skill to, like, solve these people's problems. And this is the rare game where I'm like, well, I could do that. I could press that button and be like, hello, strangers. Let me let me weigh in here with what I think is the responsible, responsible thing to do. There's a lot of moments where I'm like. Well, one, I'm actually more interested in what these characters are going to do if I left to their own devices. And two, my character in particular isn't built that way. I'm not playing a paladin who's like, don't you see we need to join hands and get on the same page here? Like, that ain't me. Like, if someone's like, I think we just need to get the fuck out of here and, uh, you know, go get go get rich somewhere else. And I'm like... <laughs> Actually, that sounds pretty good. If I had, yeah. if I didn't have this fucking worm in my head, I'd be, I'd be doing that too. Um, I'm actually, really, yeah. What is everyone's character like? Give me the 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 high level pitch on your character, or like any any depth of tiefling pitch you want. bard dirtbag. Uh, this is Great. a like con man. Uh, like the 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 reference we used in when we were doing character creation was uh, Patrick Jane from The Mentalist. A uh, little bit of a <laughs> you know itinerant itinerant con artist. Uh, and so got a lot of, uh, deception abilities, a lot of manipulate people abilities, which are very fun to use. I like the way they, I like the way those systems are integrated into conversations, uh, and the way you can choose to sort of call them in as bonuses and the way you see them affect the, the, the roles really elegant integration of all the D and D shit into this, um, dig that but that's that's basically the the brief for the character is like character can fight mm-hmm. character would prefer to not have to fight by you know talking it out getting people to come around to their position and possibly uh make sure that anything that's any money that's on the table is not going to be left there nice kato i'm playing early seasons ang from avatar i'm a monk <laughs> i'm a dragonborn i'm a dragonborn monk so I have access to all the elements because my dragon uh, can spew the uh, fire. Uh, and I'm leaning into the naivete of Aang in those early seasons. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm trying to help everyone. What This person seems nice. They're obviously telling the truth. That's great. Hence, hence the situation with the prison. <laughs> like Just I like really that. leaning into like trusting, <laughs> which is a thing that, again, I think we're like we're like we're getting at. I feel like I've played other CRP, like I, I played Players of Eternity, and I never thought about playing a character that way in the roleplay sense in the dialogue, and it never felt quite ex- like like it was receiving that sort of input. But for this specifically, I've found lots of opportunity to just like lean into this idea of like just tr- I'm just gonna fully trust everyone who says they're not gonna hurt me, <laughs> um, and it's it's come it's it's been borne out in dialogue options where I'm like. Other people probably would have stopped before this. Uh, there's a there's a thing that happens in your camp if you meet a certain bard uh, that <laughs> I, I should have talked about in the spoiler section, but we can talk about later. Um, it, it, it involves body parts. Don't don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> but so, th- I, you can really push some things 
uh, if you, the, and the game's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> so, quick question, uh, cause, just because I saw a couple people commenting about this around decisions about respecking and such. Yeah. I, I, I forget who was mentioning this, but I feel like I've seen a couple of people get at the sentiment, which is that some of the bread and butter character classes that people do like to play, you know, I like to be a fighter. I like to be made. They can feel a little bit redundant with the party members who sort of the game is stocked with to make sure that mm-hmm. you can cover those bases. There are so mm. many druids. I'm playing a druid. There are, so, uh, there are like three fucking druids. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm carting around who are never going to be hanging out with me. Wow. I wonder if that's, I haven't, I haven't met a druid. I haven't had a druid join me yet. Uh, for well, I know what happened to one of them. <laughs> well, we don't. That's the whole issue. We don't know what happened to them. True. Fair. Yeah. You know, good they, they dematerialized. <laughs> yeah. I hope I find uh, them again. So funny. Um. Yeah, I wonder whether or not that's because you're a druid, though. So, yeah. the, like, have you been able to talk to and convince more druids to join you? No. 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 Okay. no. Akata Halson is a is a, a primary companion. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Has, when was pitched as such by the devs, I, I, sure. he is not. He is story required for is, as close you, as you can get to it. I figured the other ones might have been people you just like picked up along the way, uh, but it does feel like they want to give you one at least one of everything, right? Um, no, they don't give you a monk. No, I mean. One well, of so the, this, like, this is the thing, a right? melee, like, a melee person, a magic person, a healer, and a fucking uh, stealth guy, right? And like, yeah. there's like a couple different mage people, but like, I'm sure you end up meeting one of at least all of the classes throughout the yeah. game. I guess things if you don't like the, if you don't like the, those characters like whole vibe, be, like playing that yourself could also be a way to just like you know what I don't need this. I don't need right. the energy coming off this mage, for instance. Right. Like, I don't like... <laughs> Just a, for example. <laughs> no, no no opinions about the mage in, <laughs> in Baldur's Gate 3. He's fine. The warlock's just hotter. Um, <laughs> uh, Asterion uh, is in my party because I don't have another rogue. But if I were playing a rogue, I would probably leave him, leave him behind. Wow! Right, like, what a what a what a person with wrong person disease. I hope wow. you get better. I hope you, I hope oh you get God. I hope you get cured. Look, I love he's, having he's that. fun sometimes, but it it starts to grate a bit. You should believe this. <laughs> I need to have that at my party. <laughs> yes, I, I need I him. Will. <laughs> I got you. I when he has straight sex, it's sex. It's still gay sex because he's a vampire, and that's how it works. That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> God. Also, I'm looking at the thing real quick, uh, and I will say that there are there are two. From what I know of the companions in this game, there are two missing classes for companions that just oh. don't have companions. Okay. Uh, those being monk and sorcerer, uh, which, to my knowledge, do not have anything. Um, yeah. So, Kato, congrats on picking one of the two ones. But, nice. Rob, I think you are right in terms of characters feeling a little bit like, what am I supposed to be doing here, given the the, the, the party spread that, yeah. that, that, that the game has? Because, like, even as a druid, and let me tell you, why isn't it, why aren't people talking about druids? Well, people don't talk about druids. Well, enough. they're talking about them extensively at the start of this game. They do yeah, talk I feel about like, them. I feel like dru- druids are having a moment. 
<laughs> Druids are having a moment. Um, and I, I have found myself like, I fill so many roles that there's, there's like characters are like, I don't know if I need you around. Cause like I cover a lot of bases, but also I do need those people around because this game's combat. I'm playing on tactician difficulty expects a lot out of you and like really does want you to be like making the most out of situations a lot of the time. And so like, even though I technically already have a spellcaster in my druid, I needed will around. So I had someone who could cast cloud of daggers because cloud of daggers is like such a good spell and someone's got to be able to cast it. If I'm going to get through some of these encounters, mm. um, that's a, that's a thing so with, even like, with the class overlap. I'm like pretty happy about the game balancing. That's, this is the thing about D and D and, and magic users though, is that there's a lot of, it's a lot, there's a big spread of like, what they can do, right? Like, people like magic, that they had to keep making new magic classes that were different enough that you could still have a party full of them. This, and you need yes. maybe, you need maybe one tank to make sure that they, they don't all get squashed because they're, they're, they might be weak. But druids, uh, are like, uh, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of multi-class, uh. Yeah. I, they 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 have the the ability to stand up. But to, yeah, but D and D has become so much more multi class than it used to be. Yes, like this is one of the things where it's like, oh, so I can just cast those spells too. <laughs> like I'm, a, I'm barred there. It's like, so oh, just, hey, sorry, I just every, got, sorry, sorry, bro, I got half your spell book over here. And and by the way, yeah, I can also pick locks and do <laughs> second story stuff. So yeah. uh like it and Bard is what if you want if you liked magic trickster on in rogue but you wanted more spells just play a bard and it's basically the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like uh, there's like all these overlaps um in 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 5e especially. Yeah, which I guess maybe does make it feel less irritating that to a degree you know your any character you pick feels like their their bases are also covered by the other characters cuz Every character class overlaps. Yeah, they they, they the the boundaries between classes are are really porous now, and it's and it's really more like a a resource thing. Like you you yeah. you end up knowing which spells you kind of want to use over and over again, uh, or like what situations to use certain spells in. But especially at early game, spell slots are scarce for the for the yeah. one level one spells. Like obviously, you have cantrips; you can use those as many as you as as much as you want, but those tend to be a lot less useful. Um, but so like, it's not that big of a deal when you can only really cast the level one spells like twice before you have to go do a long rest that, yeah. uh, you have two people that have the same spell. Uh, cause sometimes you just need the same spell multiple times. Yep. Yep. Um, there's, there's some go-tos. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I feel, I feel like, uh, I ended up with a pretty okay rounding out. Like right, I'm currently running Shadowheart. Um, uh, what's the what's the mage's name? I forgot his name. I wanted to say Greg, but that's wrong. Gale. <laughs> Gale. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gale. Gale. Uh, Gale. Shadowheart and um, and Asterian. So I've got three people that could technically uh stab good. And one person who's who's just Wait, just all magic. Your your party is Gale, Will, Asterian. No, Gale, Gale, Shadowheart, Asterian, and and my monk. So I've got, got my monk and Shadowheart that can kind of 
tank-ish, you know, can can be in the fray. Asterion kind of sneaking around the edges, getting uh, sneak attack hits, and then Will furthest back doing magic. Sorry, where's my, where's my girlfriend in all of this? Where's Carlock? I haven't met her yet. Okay. I she will probably she will and, and probably replace Shadowheart. They, they may never they may <laughs> never meet. Replace Shadowheart? I'm gonna push you an ocean. Mm, I might be interested in replacing Shadowheart. You know, are you anti Shadowheart? You cowards! 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 I love that freak. One of my two girlfriends, Shadowheart and Carlock. Who, by the way, this game's polyamory options are actually like really, really good. They're like they're like very smartly like written. Nice. Um, I'm I'm actually very, very impressed by them. Uh, I had a really good scene where Carlock, like when I first like started like flirting with Carlock, she like very quickly checked in. I was like, "Hey, listen, I know you've got a thing with hairpiece over there," referring to Shadowheart, um, <laughs> which is ex- ex- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, brutal. Oh brutal. my god! From near orbit, I I love Shadow her. Heart found She's... dead in Miami. <laughs> god damn! Um, and then she was like, "That's fine with me. I just need to know like what your thing is with her. Like, are we good? Like, is this fine? Does is this fine with her? Or is this fine with you? How much room in your life do you actually have for me?" And my character was like, I do. I, I like you a lot. And like, there will always be like a little, there will always be like, like space for you. I will make sure that that is the case. And so like, it's actually been like handled like very hmm. maturely and like really well. I'm, 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 I'm very impressed. And like, I've heard that other characters do not feel that way. Will, uh, sorry, not Will. Uh, I believe it's Gail. I've heard does not like it the when, mage. uh, yeah, the mage, the uh, when you, wizard. yeah. Yeah, well, he's not straight, but he's well, a he's not straight. Um, yeah, you you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, one of the rotating cast of like theater bisexuals that hang yeah. out with me and yep. my because that's my party. That's my part. I love my party. My yeah. party is me, my two girlfriends, and the one annoying bisexual guy who really likes Hamilton that we keep around. And there's like three of those guys, yeah. uh, and that's great for me. That's ter- that's terrific. I'm having a bowl. Uh, so I'm sure we're going to be talking more, uh, like, there's a lot to talk about with Baldur's Gate. I'm sure we'll be talking more about it, uh, in, in the coming weeks. But, uh, before we go, we should take a little dip into the question bucket. You can send us your questions at questions at remapradio.com. Uh, first, a heartwarming follow-up, uh, to an email we got last, uh, last week. Hey, crew. Uh, sorry. Uh, Nathan writes, hey, crew. I was about a week behind on Remap Radio this week and just caught episode nine requesting insight info on video store economics. I was completely gutted to find that I was too late to give you all the dirt. Uh, for you see, I also worked at the Hollywood Video Library Store in Ann Arbor, Michigan from 2003 to 2006. <laughs> the stories that, that from that store uh, needed to be shared and I'd missed my opportunity. You cannot imagine how fucking ecstatic I was to hear Josh, whom I haven't checked in with in about 10 years, had picked up <laughs> my slack and shared the Hollywood Let's story. Let's fucking go! Shout I just wanted Josh. to let you know that everything Josh said was 100% accurate and the tip of the iceberg. That was the best menial job I ever had that we moved on to become two lawyers, a surgeon, a cheesemonger and a high school science teacher. The Hollywood crew are some of my closest friends to this day. Thanks for giving me that elated moment. Nathan PS. I did just text Josh, even though it's 6am his time. That's That's so cute. That's wow. What a good letter. (laughs) That is that I, I love, I love those, uh, 
those those small world moments uh, for for sure. Um, there was also what's the key one here? Uh, yes, uh, Will sends a clarification. Hi, Remap Gang. Happy to clarify that Ren's initial reaction was absolutely correct. The guy bringing food right before the end of shift was spending most of that $100 on porn. He would also <laughs> frequently flirt with any woman behind the counter and would offer me unsolicited relationship advice. But Ooh. honestly, he was a pretty harmless dude, all things considered. <laughs> and that's where the bar is when you're working Whoa, night shift at yeah. a rental. Yeah. Nothing wrong in my life. On the floor. <laughs> that There's the bar. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, let's see here. Okay, so uh, Izzy writes in hello. That's right, it's Izzy. Izzy writes hello, Gex friends. Oh, in light uh, of yeah, the recent trend Izzy. of emails about <laughs> rental stores and dumb company policies, I wanted to share a story about how I turned a twenty dollar bill into six hundred and fifty dollars with one weird trick. In the early 2010s, I worked at a used game store aptly called Gamers. Like other chains, we would offer credit or or cash for trade-ins. Cash would be less than credit, which was already not a high number, and folks would commonly be looking for cash. If a customer came in with something particularly interesting, an employee might pay out of pocket to buy the item under the table or, more accurately, in a blind spot where the cameras couldn't see them. <laughs> when I would engage in such an illicit act, I'd often round up a bit to sweeten the deal. I would probably end up paying three or four times as much if I if I let let it become proper store property. So tossing in an extra ten dollars was not a problem on my end, and the customer would appreciate the bonus after hearing corporate's paltry offer. I made many of these dirty deals, but the most memorable one was a guy that came in with a full NES deluxe set, complete with ROB the robot. Whoa. In the process of itemizing the system in robot, I realized it was a uniquely horrible deal for this customer. NES systems were always assumed defective since it was more common than not that the cartridge pins would be damaged and we'd have to replace them anyway. And since we did not have a CRT so in the easy. store, we couldn't so reasonably test the robot at all. I don't remember the exact total, but it was usually no. a couple cents for a defective item and then half half that for the cash. A couple cents credit for a defective item and then half that for cash. Obviously, the robot is cool as hell, and I didn't really care if it worked or not. I handed the guy 20 and took the whole set home. When I eventually set it up, I was shocked to find the robot seemed to be in mint condition. <laughs> the NES had a few sticky spots of soda I had to wipe off, but otherwise seemed similarly pristine. The biggest shock was when I dropped a cartridge into the system. There was zero resistance. It just hit the back of the deck like it didn't have pins at all. As it turned out, this is the intended design. The NES uses something called a ZIF, Zero Insertion Force Socket, allowing the cartridge to slide freely until you push down on it, locking it into place and making contact with the pins. Because it was so common for folks to leave their cartridges in the system locked, the pins would bend over time and start to require non-zero force. <laughs> Even the third-party replacement pins we'd install would have this resistance. Imagine if I had if I had let it get bought, brought into the store, the pristine pins would have been thrown in the trash. Oh my God. I held on to the deluxe set up until last year when I sold it for $650 on eBay. Oh, I still what? lose sleep over how much I accidentally screwed that guy by giving him $20 for the incredible treasure he found in his grandma's attic. That's incredible. Good on. You know what? Listen, good on you, I guess. 
I'm actually haunted here. How was I supposed to know as a child <laughs> that I needed to unload, unload that, the that thing? Yes. Yeah. How was I supposed to know? Because the the notion the when when Izzy's mentioning uh, that she's like sliding in, there's no resistance. I'm like, I never felt an NES that way in my there's life. There's no that's way. Not how, I just that's tested the I tested the one behind me, and I had trouble getting it back out. And that one, I repl- I replaced the pins on that one. Remember when consoles had good reload animations? I want to crock a shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I don't remember a day when an, an NES was like truly just glide in. Uh, that's spectacular. I have to try this other. Way. I have two. Somebody left one. One of that one's from the office. <laughs> Ripped the vice office. Now I have two NESs here. Oh, so now are you checking the other one? Just to see. Oh, this one had Super Mario Brothers in it. Oh, shit. You got one? Yo! It just goes in! It just fucking slides in! Just let go, let go, let go. Woo! Look at that fucker slide! Kyle just just dropped a cartridge in and just fit perfectly. I would not have anticipated the obviously sun-bleached one and weathered NES being in pristine condition, while the one that's got, like, the factory new gray uh, is is not like that. No. Do you know I've never put a cartridge into an NES? It's a little fact about me. Also, I didn't realize that uh, Super Mario Bros. 3 was in that NES at the office. Uh, I've taken it out now. It was the keep... office NES? Yeah, it was the office NES. I, I mean, mean, who know who knows where it came from? Like, yeah, I don't. I don't even like. I don't even know where any of the things that we like we had in there. Well, we, they were they played it on seventy two for a little bit, and then I think we used we tried to use it once on a save point early on. It didn't work because we couldn't get the frame meister to work because we would lost the AC cable somewhere, which is a fucking tragedy. <laughs> the uh, the power cable just disappeared. Let's see. Uh, JR writes, hey, Waypoint crew. On Waypoint, on Waypoint 10. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> they made, they, they yeah, forced us into it. Doing. Yeah. God damn it. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll edit this. Hey, Remap crew on Remap Radio 10. You mentioned your personal upper limits on commute time. I once had a job where it took an hour to get to work without traffic, but I live in the D.C. area, so this was consistently a two hours each way experience. There is a public transit alternative, but that regularly added an hour each way. I can report with some confidence that there's only so much NPR a body is meant to handle before you've considered all the things and you begin your day dreaming of building a trebuchet to speed your way home. Safety be damned. (laughs) That is why I went remote eight years ago and have no current plans to return. My question is this. What would get you to return to the office? For me, it would have to be living in a walkable city within a reasonable distance of my office. Loving the new pod and wishing you all the best. JR, Annapolis area, Maryland. If I lived within walking distance of the office, that seems easy. I actually do think... I enjoy the separation of workspace mm-hmm. and leisure yeah, space, me too. which I currently do not have. <laughs> my office is my office, and that's where I spend most of my time because I'm working here during the day, and then I come back and play some games at night, probably. <laughs> which also ends up putting a little bit of like, I don't want to be in this chair too too long, so I might not 
feel like playing as many games as night if I'm coming back to the exact same spot. So it would I, have to, it would, but, but it would have to be walking, like walking distance easy. That's, that's sick. That would, that would be, that would be enough, honestly. I, how, how walking is walking distance? Uh, I'd walk 15 minutes. That, okay. That's, that's probably 30 is tough. Because what we're describing is, is, is 30, that's biking distance. And honestly, I used to bike to the vice office. It was a 20 minute bike ride. Um, and that got a little iffy in the winter, but I'm not it wasn't that bad. I'm not biking in New York. I'm not biking in New York. I'm not biking in New York. Listen, I know people who bike in New York. That's good for them. I also know a lot of people who've been it's hit me. by cars while biking in New York, uh, which yeah. is less good for them. It's, it's bad. Uh, and I don't have the body to handle that. Listen, some that's of y'all, fair. some of y'all have, some of y'all have per- permanent HP that you could, you could, you're free to lose. I don't. My con- my constitution score is dog water. I will it will not go well. Um please don't hit me with your car. Yeah. I don't know. I I I've got just enough of that uh out of sight out of mind ADHD that I don't I don't if I think about you don't it think yeah. Like mortality? No, I do and it's horrible. But then I can okay. forget about it temporarily yeah. right like i have the power to just kind of right <laughs> like flush it away for a little yeah. bit and then i'll get on my bike and go oh, in that's the right. one day i will be dead that's yeah cool. yeah <laughs> yeah i hate that hate thinking about death <laughs> and then i'll forget about it while i'm you know i don't care that the car is whizzing by me because it didn't hit me which means i'm still alive thumbs up <laughs> yeah i think i think for me it's like it would be a I hand like if it's a nice-ish walk, mm-hmm. twenty-five minutes each way is okay. But like you Go can't ahead. be like going along like major thoroughfares where it's like just like buzz saw sounding traffic just and cars and you know, nothing else. For- <laughs> yeah, like you're walking like because a few times I walked from um okay so this is just a like this is a very weird Rob thing to do but I walked from uh Dumbo up to the Vice Office, mm-hmm. uh, which means walking by the Brooklyn Navy uh, Navy Yard. Yeah. Uh. And Ugh. there's nothing down there. No, like, it's, it's, it's just like there, there's cars. one of the ugliest walks in New York. It shouldn't be, there, but it's just a colossally ugly walk. There's a reason they put the Wegmans there. It's because it's the only place where cars can go and they have a big parking lot. And that's what the one Wegmans in the city is by the Navy Yard. So, sorry, Rob, as you were saying. Yeah, no, go on. No, no, please. No, I didn't have more. It was, oh, I was got like, it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, as sucks. someone who's been we we've talked about this in passing on the pod before, but like my living situation for the last few months has been that every night I sleep with my partner, uh, while still paying rent for the apartment. That is like the, the one that my name is on the lease of. Right. Uh, and that is a 30 minute walk from apartment a to apartment B. All of my like work stuff is in apartment B. Uh, despite the fact that I spend the vast majority of my time at apartment a, and this sounds like it could create an, an almost ideal situation where like my office is still a comfortable space, but it's, it's, you know, a, a short 30 minute walk away. Uh, and it is a short 30 minute walk away uh, until I realized that a file didn't get submitted uh, <laughs> because I didn't notice that it uh, aired out uh, after submitting it. And then it's the day after and then I have to get the file to Cotto uh, and so then I have to call an emergency car to my apartment uh, in order to resubmit the file with the proper sharing permissions turned on. 
Uh, and suddenly that 30 minute commute becomes a big problem for my ability to do my job. It also gets really bad in the summer when it's, uh, I am not someone well built for the heat. I cannot walk around in 88 degree weather without becoming completely fucking soaked by the time that I arrive at my destination if I'm taking a 30 minute walk. And so the last like several months of the, of this summer have just been me be feeling constantly sweaty because I'm having to do this like trek between, you know, two and four times a day. Um, and so that's, I, I'm becoming increasingly anti-commute uh, <laughs> as, as, as time passes, especially just cause like, Commutes are, are especially infuriating in offices when it is like very obvious that your boss lives near the office uh, and no one else does. Um, recently, my partner had a situation where she had a meeting scheduled at the office at 8.30 a.m. That's um, allowed. <laughs> it was scheduled the night before and technically her workday is supposed to start at 9.30, but they're expected to actually arrive by 9. Um... But 8.30 is still before that. (laughs) I agree, Kato. It's fucking insane. But that is the kind of decision-making that you do when you live right next to your office and it's not that much of a commute for you. And like that, like, like, and and we're seeing this like in in this, the the world broadly when like CEOs are like doing everything in their power to maintain offices. And then it's like, ooh, turns out they all live very close to their offices and don't actually consider it to be a problem. Uh, and it's, it's absolutely fucking infuriating. This is part of why I'm so anti-commute is that like it's so frequently weaponized against workers um, in in any any way imaginable. Yeah, I think it's. I think it has to be like a, a fairly short walk and the facilities actually have to be good. Like I have sure, yeah. standards for <laughs> like what I will deal with. And I'm not like, sorry, I'm not dealing with like your office discount supply store bullshit. Like this is like if 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 your office looks like the sort like a call center, call center performing mass fraud, basically, Mm -hmm. where it's like designed to be basically just everyone unhooks and disappears overnight uh, (laughs) because after the call center has been operating for a week, the feds are going to arrive. If it looks like one of those things. uh, No, I'm just not I'm not working out of the space like I, you know, like I have a computer, I have a office chair, I have all this stuff. But the, the flip side is the the funny thing about like, oh, the working from home thing is like a perk or it's a treat is like. Um. Yeah, I love that in my tiny condo that like I have to use precious square footage to do all the stuff that like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, this was less of an issue now. But like during the Vice era, for instance, the entire pretense that like, uh, you know, when they started occasionally making noises about like people should work from the office more. And it's like your office is unfit for a modern media company. It's certainly unfit for a for a video games website like. <laughs> I would prefer to not have to set up the entire physical infrastructure of a game site in my fucking house, but I do. I had to, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's that's kind of like one. Okay. It, it worked out just fine because uh, it turns out that uh, I was more real than Vice was, but like the. Yeah, but this 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 notion that like oh it's in, entirely just like a treat for employees. Man, working from home and actually like kidding it out to do it properly requires a lot of like investment and yeah. 
require like it it hits you across power costs it hits you across like things you were laying money out on uh and it's it's kind of funny it's all been reframed as kind of a, a gift by employers when in large part it's also been a outsourcing of like the cost of operating office space to people and also not that this doesn't even get into like the work-life balance shit um you know and not to again use my my partner as an example but like regularly it's like she gets home at like 8 9 p.m after working late and is like actually sorry i have been asked to do even more because work from home is an option like because work from home is an option productivity is quote-unquote productivity is being pushed even further uh and and people are being pushed even further to their like functional limits uh in terms of like what they are able to produce and in, 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 in an amount of time. And the answer is always like, Oh, you didn't get it done. Simply take your laptop home because like that is, that is now Ugh. standard. Um, and yeah. it just like, it breaks my heart. Um, and also like, to be clear, I'm not fully anti office. I again say as the, you know, I, I, I like a good office. Um, it's just that I've also never interacted with one ever uh, because the vice offices, one time I showed my girlfriend a picture and she was like, that's illegal. And I was like, I know crazy. Right. Uh, and then the geo media offices were just Jim Spanfeller's little zoo that he could walk around <laughs> and see all of his little, em- all of his little z- employees typing away at their zoo computers. Uh, and so he could feel like a big fancy businessman. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the, like in general, I've also not been impressed by, like productivity in offices no like i i mean it is the sheer number of times i've been in an office where like someone comes in and their first question is like so what are we doing for lunch and it's like i don't know man i've been here for three fucking hours working uh like maybe the lunch conversation can wait uh that is a like feature though of your your cushy office job where it's like the office and like its little rituals just become a way of like, what if we just never stopped working, but also never really did work? Like, mm-hmm. what if we just <laughs> blurred the boundary to the point where like all of existence was this weird smear of like sort of being at work and sort of procrastinating about doing anything. Uh, and I think like a lot of officers are, are really good at, at that, but like in terms of getting into it, short commute, decent facilities. Um, and I think to the other point is like those distractions of people being like, Hey, what are we doing for lunch? Where are we going? Hey, uh, you know, let's walk, some walk, walk over your desk and hang out. Um, people need private office space. Like this is the, like, this is another reason that people need the ability to shut the door and be like, Hey, I'm not actually here to engage with and, and headphones don't do it. You know, people don't no. like people see headphones and they're like, Hey, can, can you talk? And just you asking it means like, you're going to make me talk. So it's, it's, it's one of like, it's, it's another aspect of, uh, I'm, I, I think offices are useful. They fulfill a lot of useful needs. Uh, I think a lot of the offices people are trying to drag employees back to don't. Uh, so yeah, no, the, yeah. the bar, the bar would be pretty high. It's definitely a setup that, like, I just, yeah. It's, it, there are people who like those things. Not, not me and my distracted ass. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I, I, like, every once in a while, it'd be cool to chat with people, but, like, I would no, too also, easily like, get thrown off, off of, off of, off of the thing I'm focusing off. With but there, the, there's the also a part of, of me, it's like, 
like because because I, I freelance for so long there's also like a keen awareness of like if i don't do a job i don't get paid and they don't get paid you die i don't yeah i don't i don't eat don't have rent so the work has to get done yeah and then you go in offices where like people get paid either way and like that's not to say everyone should be like creating value for the company 24 7 but yeah. the degree to which it's like do you have any idea how little you are being asked to do Mm -hmm. and how many folks would like kill for this opportunity. And you're doing fuck all for the entire day. That stuff, that stuff drove me absolutely nuts. Like after I stopped freelancing, because it was, it was such a a sharp, like it was shocking to me, the degree to which I was doing, I was being asked to do less work. There was a lot of more nonsense work that didn't create any product at the end of it. And the money showed up and it was better than what I was getting as a freelancer. Uh, and that was like, you got to deliver the finished product. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that was a part of the free, that, that was another part of the office experience that I was like, kind of like rubbed me the wrong way, which yep. was just that, sorry, I come from a background where I had to do work and actually deliver things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, sorry that, sorry that your standards are different, but mine are up here. Uh, so leave me alone. I mean, that is the that is the curse of offices. The is the I mean, like, even in places where like things are pretty OK, there's still like the the, the 80 20 problem, um, the 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 classic 80 20 problem, which I think is a little bit bullshit. Um, uh, and, and and the product of bad management 95 percent of the time, but also is accurate. Um, for those of you who are the, the idea is like 80 percent of the work is done by 20 percent of the people uh, who who work at a given place, um, which I, I, I do think is generally accurate, but is the result of extremely poor management practice as practices as opposed to what it is always framed as. And this is what drives me up the fucking wall is when that gets framed as like. Oh, the issue is that people are fundamentally lazy and don't like working as opposed to I have mismanaged my fucking office to the point where literally everything is falling onto freelancers and and, you know, really high performers and nothing is going anywhere else um, is it's almost universally the result of mismanagement as opposed to like a fault with the people actually working there, um, which is, I, I, I think, worth at least noting at least in my experience yeah like i think that is i think some of it is the office itself is such a space that is informed by a different archetype of work and the types of jobs that existed there uh that uh, like the reason companies used to have offices because you needed spaces for tons of support staff to exist to do parts of jobs that other people didn't like want to be bothered with or that were recognized as specialties and now they're just you know, the, the spaces are not set aside. Uh, and, and so I think it's, it's become kind of a weird product where you're throwing a lot of people together without the support that enabled the entire like white collar office model to function for, for a while. And we pretend that like, well, technology is filled in for, for a lot of the support staff that, you know, enabled the office to be a productivity center it's like it really hasn't like what you've created is a ton of people doing stuff that is not their primary function just as a as a matter of course uh, to, to get through the day. Um, and that's that's how a work day ends up consistently kind of wasted. So, yeah, like the office, um, it, you know, it's. 
there's there's a lot of utility. The the good office uh, is, is is a dream, but yeah, for the most part, people are are demanding employees return to not great ones. So you know uh, that's that's going to be a that's going to be a hard sell. Uh, so last last email here from uh, from Waz, uh, dear mappers, in the spirit of QuakeCon, what is your history with land parties? My first LAN party was going to a friend's birthday party at a gaming center for an overnight lock-in where we played nothing but Halo and Star Wars, the Clone Wars, on networked Xboxes. It was the first time I ever played Halo and maybe the most fun I ever had playing Halo. Regards, Waz. That is when Halo was at its best. Local multiplayer. I've never done a a LAN, Kato? I, um... Had a very regular land party. It was called the graphic arts class in tenth, eleventh uh, grade, actually, uh, where we fin when we finished all of our graphic graphic design homework, the the teacher would open up a land and everyone would play the demo to Halo, which included multiplayer on Mac computers. Because remember that game was right, originally <laughs> set out, but background. yeah, yeah, it was gonna be the 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 Mac game. Um, so it was it was just Blood Gulch team team deathmatch, but that was enough, honestly. <laughs> like that game fucking ruled. We also did some fun Insta give uh Unreal Unreal <sighs> tournament stuff, you know, and it was all just like. Best. Every every time it was like the entire there were like six of us in that class. All six of us would like the teacher would be like, "Well, I didn't plan anything else. Let's game." <laughs> uh, so it wasn't really what people mean when they think of land party, but it it, it, it did it did the thing. We were in a land. We were fucking oh, yeah. gaming. It was sick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's um. So it was a mix of there was a gaming there's a gaming hobby shop near my school mm. uh that had a LAN with a lot of shooters installed. So like that was a place to go hang out and play like no latency shooters, and that was incredible to to go do. Uh so that stuff was that stuff was fun. Uh then there were sort of the LAN parties. I remember playing tons of um like oh hell. Uh the Wolfenstein enemy territory, the the whole like splash damage uh, series of games. I want I want to say they did one for for Wolfenstein that was like really really great, um, ter- terrific game to to do multiplayer on, uh, just to just an absolute blast. So stuff like that was, it was it was always cool. But I, I feel like my the quintessential land party experience was also that what people people always had a playlist of stuff we're gonna play. And then it was like, you know, we could just play Facing Worlds in Unreal yeah, Tournament. Yeah, like Facing Worlds. 12 hours. Turn on Yeah, Let's it's go. like, <laughs> sorry. So you, you want us to stop playing Facing Worlds to play a different map uh, no. that isn't Facing Worlds. There are more maps in this game? <laughs> why? Why are there more maps? Why would I, why would I be anywhere but here? Yeah. So like. You know that was that was certainly a lot of my experience with that stuff. I, I also want to say, uh, probably the end of it was World of Warcraft, because that was where like the land parties were beginning to feel like casinos at four a.m. Where I was like, this is getting a little seedy. Like I don't know that we should all still be here. I don't know that like like we're we're still at a land party, but also it's becoming a really like 
atomized experience because we're all just like, you know, burning through levels in World of Warcraft. Um, and, you know, sure enough, over time soon, those those the the standing land party dissolved into like remote raiding just constantly. Um, yeah, so like that, that, that was sort of where the where the land party thing ended. I, I think for in a lot of moments, the the land moments started drying up after that. Right. Like mm. it stopped being a priority of, uh, you know, as, as as things moved inexorably online. But. Yeah, no, they were they were they were great times. Uh, you know, I would I have a lot of nostalgia for them for sure. Congrats, uh, old. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Rob. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Well, that concludes another episode of Remap Radio. Uh, the theme song is Moments Pause by Two Mello. You can check out his work at twomellomakes.bandcamp.com. You can follow everything we do at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience for support, and you can sign up to become a backer by going to remapradio.com and following the links and instructions you see there. The basic plan provides access to an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as the projects we carried over to Remap, including Sports and 101. Uh, your, support, your support also lets us set time aside for streaming. This week, Kato has been delivering the goods on... You, you, are you just doing Final Fantasy Tactics now? At, like, odd hours? Are you sneaking? Are you sneaking a little Final Fantasy Tactics morsels? What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about, right. about I haven't streamed yet. I'm going to stream. There's going to be a stream. All yeah. right. I'll look forward you'll, to you'll, that. You'll, you'll look, look forward to it. Yeah. yeah. Look, look, on, a, yeah. look on uh, on the YouTube. You'll see a, a stream this weekend. Uh, but one thing you <laughs> did you did actually do, I didn't hallucinate this. You 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 played Armored Core, right? Yeah, yeah. we played Armored Core. We defeated. Right. We defeated. We Armored defeated. Core. We beat Armored Core. Well, one of one, well, one yeah, way. Yeah. yeah we beat Armored Core's first playthrough, which takes about three hours. So it's not like we didn't we didn't do a feat. But. Burn in hell, Armored Core. <laughs> Congrats, Ren and Kato. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Rob. We made a fucked then, up we made a fucked up little we we, we like we had been playing uh, a pretty zippy mech for a long time, then Ren turned to me and was like, Hey Kato, what should we do? And I said, Look at that box head. Box head good. Big big thick boy? What if guns just arms? No no need for hands, just guns. Uh and we made a fucked up uh heavy mech that ended up being pretty fucking cool. Uh it was a fun it was a fun stream. It's very fun. And uh by the time you're listening to this, uh Kato and I will pro- probably also have uh, played a bit more Baldur's Gate. Uh and that will We that will have be, because this will yeah, so be a VOD by the yeah, time you're yeah. listening to this. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You check that out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Remap Radio. Until then, thanks so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us and fuck capitalism. Go home. The specific thing I'm having an issue is the, the the druid camp and the assault on the druid camp. There's two options, right? You can uh, the way that I ended up was I could talk to the drow lady that mm-hmm. is leading the goblins and say yes, I will help the raid on on the on the camp, or and or I can talk to the druid Halson, find him in the dungeons, let him out, yeah. and be like, I will help you defend against the the raid. And he says, okay, great, I'll, I'll meet you at the gates. 
Uh, she says, like, great, I'll meet you uh, on the way. And I teleported back to the grove, got back in, and the I couldn't find Halson. Like, I checked everywhere. Most of the druids are gone. There's one guy behind a stone <laughs> a stone gate. Sorry. Cut out. Yeah. He wasn't talking about the druid camp. Yeah, he was. He's talking. No, he's not. He's talking about your camp, as in the camp that you can go to for long rests. He's at the. He's at your camp. He's a companion, so he's sitting in the place where all of your companions sit, so you can bring. That was him saying, "I'm going to go." Because he didn't say, "I'm going to your camp." He said, "I'm going back, and I'll meet you to defend against the druids, against the um, goblins." He said that specifically, like, "I'll meet you outside." Had you already dealt with the other people yet? Because he doesn't. No, not yet. Like he, he's not part of the party. Like he's not. I couldn't. I rested before the big battle, and he, he wasn't there. Like the big bat, the battle out, the raid on the on the on the camp. Bro, I just assassinated them. <laughs> Did you not just assassinate? Because like three people are like, "Hey, will you just assassinate?" Kata, what are you playing? What character are you playing? I'm playing a monk. Did the tieflings ask you to assassinate the drow? The goblin leaders? Yeah. I didn't All do that. All three of them? Well, no. I didn't get that. I, I, I got someone said, go deal with it. Go deal with the issue. I let out the goblin. The goblin led me to the drow. The drow lady was like, hey, help me take down the druids. And I was like, sure. Crossing my fingers behind my back. <laughs> and then I went and let out the druid. And the Halson was like, I'll meet you out front to defend from the raid. And then I went back, and he wasn't nowhere to okay. be found, and the raid started eventually. <laughs> I, I think I'm starting to see what happened here. <laughs> my my guess, Kato, yeah. is that the game wanted you to chat with Halson, or not, didn't want you to, but like there was a world in which you were... Exp- I didn't have the... The raid never happened for me. Mm. Because Halson was like... Someone else was like, will you just take out their three leaders? Because I, I talked to someone, and they're like, right... These are goblins. Goblins don't organize into armies, generally. Yeah. Um, they mostly stick to bands. It's, like, weird that there is a goblin army right now. Uh-huh. And so, if you kill their leaders, this whole army is gonna fucking disintegrate Did you in meet this the, region. Did you meet the drow lady? Was that one of the people you had to kill? Yeah. And you killed her? Yes. Okay, I know I, she's I, a companion. I, I just- I killed I, the shit out of her. <laughs> I didn't, she's I, so dead. I'm wearing her armor. Nice. I talked to her. Because I was I was walking through the goblin camp and I didn't want to suddenly have the entire goblin camp turn aggressive in case that that could I didn't know what could or could not happen. So I like okay. played nice to get through and just be able to walk into the dungeon instead of having to like possibly fight my way into the dungeon. Got the druid out, and then the drow and the druid were headed t- back towards the grove at the same time. So Okay, then my my guess as to what happened is that, like, when you say, let's do the raid, she's like, okay, we have support, let's go do the raid. Right, yeah. And that is what, right. That's what so, happened, and Halson said, Halson obviously had a ha, has a dialogue thing where it's like, if you talk to him before the raid starts, mm-hmm. uh... There's probably another option, but what he said to me was, the raid's always already begun. I'll meet you outside to, to defend, right? It's like, we can't do anything from here anymore. Here being the goblin camp, we'll meet back out back, back outside of the grove. 
Interesting. And then he wasn't there, and I think I broke it because I teleported. I feel like if I walk back, I'm going to meet him somewhere along the way, maybe, or something will trigger. But right. I went, I teleported back, and like, no one, like, most of the tieflings were gone. All of the druids were gone. Will was standing there, but I couldn't talk to him. Did uh, you long rest? And then I long rested, and then I started, and I blew the horn that started the raid. <laughs> huh. Yeah, it's yeah, a it weird situation. Like, <laughs> I mean, it just sounds like the game, or when you when you said, let's go do it, they just immobilized the army, and so yeah. there were no other yes. options. Yeah. So, uh, the, the, I, don't the thing that's, a, I don't think that's a bug, Kato. No, no, I the think bug, that's a character the, taking what you said seriously and no, then the acting bug, upon it. The bug is, where did Halson go? And why can't I f- find anyone that said they were going to be there? Like, their character's missing now that we're like we're gonna defend against the raid that are just like disappeared and i think it might have been like a i should have walked back and there will be a trigger at some point where it's like here we are ready getting the defense ready instead it was kind of an awkward like uh yeah we put a bomb in the ground i hope that's enough (laughs) it was very funny interesting because that sounds that that does sound like a bug because the game's actually pretty good about yeah, he even, had, he even had he even had a di- yeah. he had a, a dialogue thing of like we can't do anything from here because they've already left. Like right before, like the thing that happened is I talked to the drow lady. She like left that room and started gathering people in the atrium. I went down into the dungeon. Like you could see this happen. Oh, it was, you talked it was awesome. to her first before <laughs> Halson? Yes, <laughs> they were gathering. So all of it seemed to be working up until the point where I tried to find Halson. I'm like, where the fuck is he? He's supposed to help with this defense, and I got my, I got my, I got my shit kicked in during the defense, and I was just like. It was like three in the morning. I was like, what am I? This, this has gone so poorly. I'm just quitting the game. I will deal with the save later. <laughs> and so now yes. I'm back to before this. And this is, this has happened like twice now where this game is, you know, it's based off D and D. It's based right. off a, a TTRPG rule set, but because it is a computer, it can't do the thing that a, a human GM might have done in certain situations of like softening things. I've I've reloaded a few times because my I love to like find where the edges of how much trouble you can get into in these games goes. Like how how much did the uh uh, uh, uh um uh what what did what did they plan for? Let's see what find all the interesting morsels of like side stuff that other people might not because they're playing a little safer for example but one of those had my one of my had my main character like put into a prison cell surrounded with people who were like three levels above which is a lot of levels in in the dnd setting sorry you got <laughs> i sorry, yeah how my did you get put in a prison cell i drank i drank some a sleep potion that i knew was a sleep potion because the goblin wanted to take the the tadpole out of my eye, the goblin uh, a priestess, um, and I believed her, and I was like, okay, fine. She was lying. She couldn't get it out. She just put me in a prison, <laughs> which was great. Like I loved that part of it. But That's- then I was stuck without the rest of my co- party members in a prison, and I couldn't get out. And I, I feel like, sorry. A different a, a human GM does this, but then puts like people you can deal with as the guards, right? Gives you an out. 
The game didn't give me an out. There was no out, really, because they were too big. I didn't have any spells that could, like, help me sneak past them or anything like that, right? It was like, for this specific character, I kind of had to fight my way out, and I could not fight my way out. Wait, why didn't you just switch to your other characters? I didn't know I could do that, maybe? Could I do that? Wait, were I was the just portraits alone. Still, were there portraits sorry, sorry, still on sorry. The, on you the can screen? always switch to your other characters. I don't remember. And maybe... Yeah, you know, like, the, the party split thing, right? Yeah, like, I was alone. Um, and, and there were I no other on... portraits to, like, indicate that there was a separate, like, portion of the split-off party. I don't remember, because I know they that they're, they're always you. there. They were. I hit M on the map. I was on a new map. I could not see. The I know map the map go. that you're in. I know the yeah, map yeah. that you're in. You can just switch back to your other party. Well, what ended up happening Members. was uh, I figured out there there what there there ends up eventually being an out, but it's like very. It was very. It was a path that I did not think to take until I was like, I'm gonna try a couple times just to see what the, all the other options do. Eventually, you can just if you wait a few days and you go to sleep a couple times uh someone comes and saves you oh you get a deus ex machina person yeah. to just come come by and be like that's great we've been that's- watching you that's the thing that i feel like but it was frustrating enough at first to do the kind of obvious things of interacting with the thing of like I almost reloaded that save, and I feel like somebody else would have reloaded that save much earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the understanding of when to push back against players and when to, like, actually, like, do the thing where, like, oh, I know that this person will be okay with being sidelined for a little bit versus you're playing a video game, a one-person kind of endeavor if you're playing solo and not co-op. There's a line where a lot of players will be like, well, this is fucked. I'm going to reload. I'm going to save scum instead of trying to figure out if there's another option and just like go back to before. And the autosaves in this game are brutal, brutal. Tap F5 every time you're about to do anything. Just fucking auto like quick save to hell because you might find yourself in situations that are not great. I died multiple times. So let's uh, transition back to non-spoiler chat. Yeah. Uh, here. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. 